have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guest that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. shortages, it will be worse than anything we've lived through. In times like these, what should you do? Well, go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the southern-sense.com and click on the upper left-hand corner where it says My Patriot Foods and invest in long-term emergency food shortages from My Patriot Supply while you still can. My Patriot Supply is the largest preparedness company in America with millions of satisfied customers, and I'm one of them. Their food lasts up to 25 years in storage. When you need it, you will have it and avoid government food lines. Act quickly and save $150 on a vital three-month emergency food kit. This kit provides a variety of delicious foods, totaling over 2,000 calories a day. You won't go hungry when you have this emergency food, period. So go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and save $150. month food kit. That is, go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Protect your family and secure this emergency food supply today. Also, you can get other supply things there, which I bought. It's a water purifying system. So check it out. 
go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Click on the display in the upper left-hand corner for My Patriot Foods. Be prepared. Do it today. All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense, listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, oh, Global Enlightenment Radio, iTunes, iStitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and half a dozen other places. I don't even know where I am anymore. Just go to the name of the show, put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the radio chickadee, Annie. And right now, Curtis is at a poll-watching training, so he'll be joining us at the uh, second hour. But instead, we have a guest co-host. Oh, my buddy, my Uncle Ted, former Congressman Ted Yoho out of Florida. Good afternoon, Ted. How are you today? I'm doing great, Annie, and I uh, appreciate you having me on. Let me fill in for uh, the infamous Curtis, uh, C.S. Bennett, <laughs> and I uh, look forward to participating today. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad that you volunteered last minute because Curtis is calling me as I'm doing my show notes, and I'm going, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And he goes, oh, no, I asked Ted. And I said, okay, good. <laughs> so thank you <laughs> for, for be willing to be brave enough to join this nutcase today. <laughs> uh, not, not a problem. It's just big shoes to fill with Curtis gone, and uh, uh, I know he's looking forward to coming back. But uh, anything I can do to help you for the cause, I'm here and uh, look forward to it. Oh, I, I got to tell you, Ted, it is now absolutely official. I have been officially banned from YouTube. I am I, oh, I'm now right? non grunt. I went to post up you know, <laughs> that I had the show going on. I sign in and it says, Nope, access denied. <laughs> You're banned. Let me get you a trophy. <laughs> You've earned yeah. a trophy there. Oh, of course, all you have like, to do didn't <laughs> well, all I you have to do nowadays is tell them you're a conservative. <laughs> <laughs> A white conservative. Oh, my goodness. That's even worse. (laughs) Really? You must have done something really bad because you're female, too, if if we can use that pronoun anymore. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. Or that gender designation. (laughs) Yeah, really. Oh, man. Crazy times. It is. It is. We have so much to talk about. Uh, We have running for Congress out of Florida District 7, uh, Colonel Calvin Wimbish. Uh, I believe uh-huh. the primary is, if I have this correctly, August 23rd, and there's six people uh, on the Republican primary ticket. So this is going to be interesting. Uh, so he'll be joining us. Uh, we also have returning Dr. Murray Sabrin. Um, he was someone who uh, fled West Germany with his family. And, man, he is a powerhouse. Uh, we're going to have him. We're going to have from the Epic Times my friend Mark Tapscott. Uh, he's also the founder of Hill Faith. Uh, then we close up today, uh, Ted, with from the Heritage Foundation, Laura Reese. She's the director of the Heritage Border Security and Immigration Center. And oh boy, the fifteen twenty Man, minutes. Man, you talk about having her. your hands full. Oh, geez, we got ourselves a oh, busy, busy, busy day. <sighs> and I, I'm telling you, the stuff that's going on right now. <laughs> And the, the the fight between Pelosi on whether or not Trump should run <laughs> and Trump teasing her with whether or not he will run. Oh, man, we, this, it's right. nonstop. We can do this show for two solid days and still have tons to talk about. Uh, oh, yeah, so, we'll do information on top of that to talk about. 
putting out optics. Yeah, and finding where Joe Biden falls down next. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. You can't make this stuff up. You really, really just can't make this stuff up. But those that listen to our show. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I I, I was listening to some some of the newsreels coming out, and I told my wife, I said, this is like a Saturday Night Live skit. And we were laughing about it, but the sad thing is it's the administration, and they're serious about what they're talking about. But it it was really like a Saturday Night Live skit. Uh, like you said, you can't make it up. Or have it more like laughing, right? The fickle yeah, finger of yeah, fate really. is being <laughs> Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, sure is. Well... Uh, Those that listen to our show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And this has been a horrible year once again for law enforcement officers. So today's dedication is going to go out to Police Officer Lane Anthony Burns of the Bon Terre Police Department in Missouri. His end of watch was Thursday, March 17th of this year. And this starts off with from St. Louis today. And it is by Kim Bell. And she writes, a man fatally shot one police officer and injured another at a Motel 6 in Bon Terre. The gunman was then shot and killed when the officers fired back. The sh- ha- shootout happened around 12.30 a.m. when police were summoned for a disturbance at the motel at 1017 Highway K. Two Bonterre officers walked towards the room, and 31-year-old James J. Emery came out with a gun, shooting at them, said Corporal Dallas Thompson of the Missouri Highway Patrol. Bonterre Patrolman Lane Burns died at a local hospital about an hour later. Burns, 30, was wearing a bulletproof vest, but the shot to his upper body missed the vest by an inch or two, the St. Francois County coroner said. Corporal Garrett Worley with Bonterre Police was shot in the leg and taken by medical helicopter to Mercy Hospital St. Louis in Crave Corps. Worley, 28, underwent surgery at Mercy and was speaking with department officials. Emory was killed by police. He lived in Maplewood and also had a recent address in Arrington, which is further south in Iron County, Thomas said. Emory was by himself when he shot the officers. Thompson did not know what sparked the shootout. Authorities are trying to collect background on Emory to find out why he was at the motel. Online records show no felony convictions in Missouri and no federal cases in Missouri or Illinois for Emory. Records show only a misdemeanor and a $118 fine for violating rules at a Missouri conservation area in Washington County. The Motel 6 manager declined to speak to a reporter about the shooting or say what disturbance brought the the police there. After Burns was shot, paramedics rushed him by ambulance to Parkland North Hospital in Bonterre. Jason Copeland, coroner for St. Francois County, said rescuers and doctors tried for more than an hour to save Burns. They worked on him a while and just couldn't get him to come back, Copeland said. 
Burns was pronounced dead at 1.46 a.m. He did have the vest on, but it just missed his vest, Copeland said, by maybe an inch. Burns is survived by two children, ages five and nine, said Will Becker, a spokesman for the Backstoppers Incorporated. The nonprofit is providing financial assistance to cover the funeral and to support the fallen officer's children. Burns had been with Bonterre Police Force for about five years and had worked for the St. Francois County Sheriff's Office and nearby municipal departments before that. Lieutenant Bill Stagel, assistant chief in Bonterre, called Burns a dedicated officer. Bonterre put Burns' patrol car on display at a local park. The car was draped in black bunting and served as a makeshift memorial where the townspeople gathered. Bonterre is about 50 miles south of St. Louis. The town of about 7,000 has only 10 full-time police officers and 10 part-time officers. Burns worked full-time. After the shooting, the department sent all of its officers home that Thursday morning to mourn, and surrounding police agencies stepped up to handle the calls for him, Stagel said. Local departments made sure our community was covered. Amy Brednick, a part-time police officer for Bonterre, said of Burns, he would do anything for anyone, and he gave up his life for this town. Business owners in downtown Bonterre rallied around the fallen officer. Shari House runs the Fancy Crow, a business along Highway 47 that sells household decor. She attached a black ribbon to her American flag. We're a small community, she said, and it's heartbreaking. A vigil was held on the football field at North County High School in Bonterre. And from the Joplin Globe by John Hacker. Residents remembered former Carthage resident Lane Burns, the Bonterre police officer who was shot and killed in the line of duty just after midnight Thursday March 17th, in that community. Burns was a Carthage native and a 2009 graduate of Carthage High School. Carthage Assistant Superintendent for Business, Matt Huntley, who was assistant principal at Carthage High School in 2009, said Burns was a nice, unassuming kid who involved himself a lot with our tech center. He talked to you every time you'd see him, and pleasant, Huntley said. He was one of those model kids who you're impressed with so much because school doesn't come easy for him, and he worked so hard to get through. We've got about 1,500 kids running through the place on a daily basis and go back 14 years. And to remember someone, he definitely made an impression. Huntley said, Burns' death coming so soon on the heels of the death of Joplin Police Corporal Ben Cooper and Officer Jake Reed was a shock. I certainly think of his family, Huntley said. In the article I read, it sounded like he was on the way to getting married soon, and there will be a lot of holes in the Lane's family lives now that will never be filled. And that's tragic for a guy who was just doing his job. Danny Wilson, a Joplin photographer, said he first met Lane Burns when Wilson was started, had started attending church 
at the Carthage Family Worship Center. But he didn't get to be friends with him until later. He was quite a bit younger than I am, and I knew who he was, but I really didn't know him, Wilson said. Then I did his senior pictures, and in that one-on-one time, I got to know him a little bit. I'd say at that time, we became somewhat friends. With most of my seniors, once our shoot's over, I never see them again. But with him, since we went to the same church, I saw him every week. Wilson said he was in charge of the audiovisual system at the Carthage Family Worship Center, and he played in the band during services. So he recruited Burns and his brother to help with the technology. I was in charge of all the technology in the sanctuary, and being as I was also a musician and played on stage during worship time, I needed people to monitor the sound system and the video system. Wilson said, been in those positions, I always like pulling from the young generations. The technology stuff is right up their alley. That's where they live, and they're very easy to adapt to it. The couple I had helped me quit, and that's why I grabbed Lane and his oldest brother to help me. They helped out back there for a year before Lane graduated and took off. Jeff Mars, a teacher at the Carthage Technical Center, said he remembered Burns and his brothers, even though it has been 13 years since he had them in class. They all kind of acted alike. They all kind of hung around together, Morris said. He said Lanes was on his machine technology class and worked hard and found ways to get things done. He was one of those ornery good kids, Morris said. That's how I could describe him. He was kind of a practical joker, let's have a good time kind of kid, and that whole group was that way. Mars said he struggles when he learns that one of his former students has died for any reason, but Burns' death was especially tragic. When you have these kids day in and day out for two years, it's tough when something happens to them, he said. You bring these kids up through the years and you teach them and you push them along. You want them to be good citizens and you try to instill in them to have the worth ethic to go out there and be good citizens and go after the good jobs and make yourself successful in life. That is my reward to see them in that kind of deal. So for him being a police officer, it was a shock for me. I had no idea he went in that direction, but good for him. Today's show is dedicated to the police officer, Lane Anthony Burns, is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate to them all those who have served in the military from the birth of this great nation to today and into our hopeful future. We dedicate to them with a song by my friend Todd Allen Herndon, my name is America. May God bless each and every one. Born in the grip of oppression. I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free 
No longer on YouTube, <laughs> but we are up on Twitter. <laughs> oh, yes for that one, <laughs> as well as Facebook, iHeart. Oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle. You can also watch us on our homepage, Southern Sense. 
put the dash in the middle, southernsense.com. My guest co-host today is former Congressman Ted Yoho out of the great state of Florida, the free state of Florida. Ah, Ted, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, we're happy to be here in the state of Florida where um, no mask mandates. And, you know, I just got back from D.C., and it's amazing how different parts of the country react. And I was in the airport, and a flight came in from the west coast, the left coast, and people coming off the plane all had masks on. It's the mindset out there. I was in Jacksonville, and virtually nobody had masks on unless they were, you know, of a certain political persuasion, and you could kind of tell them, <laughs> uh, or co- comorbidity, I should say that, and I can understand that, and I certainly respect that. Um, but it is it is just different, and I just want to say that was a great tribute uh, and narrative for Officer um, Burns. Um, you know, those guys get up every day and put that vest on, and their family never know if they're coming back. And along that lines, when I was in D.C., uh, one of the Capitol Hill police, we had a good friend. Uh, he was a good friend of my wife's and ours. And he saw me, and he came up to me, and he, he was just telling me how D.C. is today compared to two years ago when I was there. And he said, Ted, he goes, you just wouldn't believe it. He goes, you wouldn't think it could get any worse. He goes, but these people are mad at each other, the members of Congress, the staff. And he goes, we've had over 500 Capitol Hill policemen either quit or retire. And he goes, we can't hire them. We're hiring people. They'll be here for a week or two, and then they quit. Um, and it's that that uh, mm-hmm. feeling that the left has gone after the policemen are all bad, defunded the police department, and we expect these people to be there. And, you know, if you look at the Pelosi's and that, they've got their security guard around them. If you look at the yep. squad, uh, um, and, of course, you being former um, uh, police officer yourself, you know what these guys are going through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, with that said, uh, Ted, let's bring on our guest, Colonel Calvin Wimbish, who is running for the 10th District out of your state, Florida. Matter of fact, Kat Kamak has your seat. We had fun talking to her. And you, you promised you'd have, have her come back on, too. So, Colonel Wimbish, good afternoon and welcome back. My guest co-host today is former Congressman Ted Yoho. Ted, Hello, how Calvin. Are you? How are you? I'm doing I great, sir. And I just... Go, Go ahead. ahead. <laughs> One at a time. <laughs> I just want, I just want to tell you how how I, I admire you for getting into the race, putting your face into the blades of the fans that you're getting ready to to walk into, but you're trained with your military career. So I look forward to hearing God, from you. Yeah, God has been great to me, and as a former Green Beret, you know, Amen. and all the special ops guys, we know how to go into harm's way. We're the tip of the spear. And I, why not take some of that change, that same experience and knowledge and, and fortitude that uh, first responders and military guys who have gone to help others who are oppressed to be unoppressed. Now the time for me to take that skill and take it to Washington, D.C. and get rid of the squad by being part of a great A-team of, I believe, strong patriots who are believers and believe in Christ because I know he's brought me through the valley of shadow of death too many times, but this is nothing compared to the war fighting that we've done. And I'm going to go and do what I can to help our nation rise again. And I thank you for thanking me and all who have served, who are listening, that this is a great year for us to get our country back. And God is my witness. 
I have to be Cal the Baptist in Congress. They're going to have to cut off my head to stop from this uh, grief that's going on. And we're going to turn get everything back where it should be. Save the nation. Well, that's a huge amen we to got that a one. To say. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's funny because I turned off uh, Fox News many, many years ago, and thank God I can get Newsmax and One American News. But as I was listening, it just occurred to me that it's a bigger crime to use the wrong pronoun than to go after trafficking of illegals. Uh, Sex crimes are going after that. The people that are getting murdered and raped uh, or to commit any serious uh, offense. It's more of a crime to use the wrong pronoun. So, Colonel, how do we now lower this crime wave and get control of our republic? Well, it's, it's, if you don't mind, I, I think it goes back to the, how they changed the narrative, especially after uh, the end of the Civil War and so many wonderful, strong African-Americans became congressmen and senators. Many became millionaires along the way, but they kept it quiet. And then when all of a sudden you saw this shift in leadership in Washington, D.C., moved from Republican to Democrats because the narrative has gotten so overwhelming that people hear this and they start to believe it because I know there's a quote by uh, Booker T. Washington that said, a lie doesn't become the truth and wrong doesn't become right and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by the masses. And the masses are controlling the airways, the the, uh, TV, the newsprint, and the people are duped to believe that it's okay to put those as a higher value over stopping human trafficking, over stopping the drugs coming in, over securing our border. And they want our kids now to start worrying about pronouns and putting certain words before you say hello to someone, that you can't be respected, but you have to now have a mental, I call it mental enslavement, that you're that you have shackles and chains all over your mind and body, that uh, you're not able to relate to human decency as we know this Judeo-Christian nation was set up to be. And just because it hasn't come to each of us at the same time in equal amounts, there's no reason to set this up as the precursor to what I call socialism. It's going to be socialist. They're going to control us to say everything to include, don't even open your mouth if you're afraid or someone is afraid that you may hurt their feelings. It is ridiculous. You need legislation of legislators both at the local level all the way up to the congressional level, including the White House, not to be signing off on stupid because <laughs> that old saying <laughs> stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> and we've got yeah. a lot of <laughs> people who have not looked at the reality of life. I'm sorry, but it, when you said that, that just made me think about exactly what's happening in our schools, and it's a shame. Now, it's, I was interviewed by Tim Tapp last night, and I basically said the same thing. We've got to take the conversation back. We've allowed them to yeah. control it. We've allowed them to, and I'm going to say, bastardize our language. And now, Amen. by doing that, they have also now bastardized our educational system. We need to take it back, and we need a lot of mama bears and papa bears at the school board meetings. And I'm sorry, they see me coming, and they go, oh, no. And I was not blessed with kids, but, yes, I will attend a school board meeting. Why? Because my tax dollars are paying for the education of those kids. And how my neighborhood turns out depends upon how those kids turn out. 
If I want a good neighborhood, a prosperous neighborhood, I want to make sure the best education goes to those kids because i got to live here. And people don't understand that, do they, Callan? You're spot on. Uh, you know, there's uh, – I, I, I just think that we start with generations. Uh, I'm blessed that my parents are still alive. At 77 years of marriage, dad turns 98 next wow. week, 28. Oh, God and bless. he was an old farm boy, and mom was a, a farm girl. That all he knew was common sense and God sense. And when uh, we went through the Woodstock generation, and some of us stood up for America, joined the military, or joined, became a police or a fireman, and did what we could to help our nation. He often had uh, commented, "There's the Woodstock generation and the non-Woodstock generation." The non was us who said, "Yes, sir," did our best. If we qualified, went into harm's way to save our country, our city, and uh, whether it was a fireman or a policeman. But then there was those who said, oh, forget about that. Let's just go free everything, free love, free this, free that, smoke this, smoke that. And we are now having some of the leaders who came out of that generation who are thinking the same way as they did back in the 60s. And it's a shame that they have, it's all about power, and as long as they have the grip on how and what our kids see, what our parents see, the generation that accepts uh, anything and everything, as opposed to letting the truth be the truth and teach only the truth and let integrity, and I call that the umbrella over everything. If you have integrity doing what's expected of you when others aren't looking, if you recognize that honor, respect, selfless service, as well as uh, respect of others comes up with integrity, you don't have to think twice about you know it's wrong. Why do you do it? And yet we got people who keep passing rules, passing acts, leading up to laws, uh, uh, the regulations that go into law. And now we have to live under this stu- stupidity. And if you say something uh, that they don't like, they want to take things away from your rights, your First Amendment rights, your Second Amendment rights. Nobody wants to look at the Constitution. I carry those the Constitution in my pocket. I tell everyone I meet, have you read it? They say, what are you talking about? I said, have you read it? And I pull it out, and I wait it <laughs> All yeah. the book has such a large amount of information. And most people don't, don't even know. I mean, I can go I, on, I, but you know what I'm saying. I've had the same exact pocket po- a constitution on me since 1976. It was given to me wow. by when I w- we graduated from high school by my social studies teacher, and I finally had to retire it into my desk drawer here. So it sits here with me at, in my little studio. Uh, so I always have one with me, but because I kept on getting beat up in my purse, I now have it on my phone. <laughs> so, yeah. And we can get them for free. And, in fact, I encourage people to go to my website at votecal2022.org. Because everything that I'm saying, everything that I'm trying to do, is all predicated on that foundation of God first, America first, and the Constitution. Well, I've got a question for you, uh, Colonel, and then I, I want you, uh, Ted, also to answer this. We have a shadow government, and one of our major problems, which Trump was attempting to tackle for every regulation that was passed, he would try to cut down too. But we have a shadow government in all these alphabet agencies that act like a law unto themselves. They don't care who is in, who is the administration, who is empowering Congress. They couldn't care less because they work independently. 
Now, Congress has the power of the purse string. Now, would you work diligently to bring back congressional powers to the 13 original enumerated powers and not anything further, thus cutting the purse string on the regulatory agencies such as uh, the Board of Education, not Board of Education, Super, what do we call it? Department of Education. Um, Department of Education. Let's abolish uh, that bad boy. Uh, the administrative I mean, agencies. Got, all these administrative agencies that have run amok. Um, can we get, do you think, Calvin, we can do this to cut the purse strings and cut the shadow government apart? I think it's doable. I think it can be done. But right now with the rhinos and the dinos that are in there, people who claim they love America, they want to come to the center, whether center-left or center-right, which I believe center-right is the right way to go, they're too afraid of their own shadows. And uh, until we get a turnover in the legislative branches from Congress, both down to the state house and Senate levels, to the local communities, city halls, the uh, commissioners, mayors, who just don't see exactly what you're talking about. We're going to still have the challenge of these agencies that have been delegated the authority by, uh, I don't know, <laughs> everything from uh, a uh, executive order to a mandate, and I hate mandates, especially when I see agents who want to work well within their agency. I've got a lot of friends in the different agencies. They're all the above. They're trying to do their job. When they get, they go to their uh, meetings and they are told, oh, even though it's on the books, do not enforce. Do not do this. Do not do that. I mean, look at what's happening on our border with the Border Patrol. They can't even stop those who are violating our sovereignty. We can't have a sovereign nation, and yet we're out there sending, letting them come into the nation, sign out, fill out a little piece of paper, and then let them wander throughout many of which are never caught, that are uh, the crimes that are being committed right now. Many of them are from uh, illegals who have gotten here. We have no idea who they are and how they got here and where they came from. And yet the legislators who should have been making the decisions till now are not. They take their time off. They work less than a year, if you would, than most of us have to work our lives. And I, I say, you let us... We win this election, come up, if I get on the ballot, I'm on the ballot now for the 23rd of, of, of this month here in Florida. And I get across that, that uh, primary before going to the general election. Get me to Congress and get guys like me and ladies like me who are willing to, hey, it's not about me personally, it's about our nation. We will get those rules, those laws, we'll get them revoked, changed, and we'll have enough, I pray, to override any uh, vetoed by the, the current president that we can start having people have the courage and the power to get upon their, beyond their fears so we can change what we need in these rules that are hurting us, just like you described. Well, Ted, what that advice do you have for... I was going to ask you what advice you have to give to uh, uh, Calvin here. Um, Calvin, those are all great, great talking points, and you've hit a lot of that on the head, the nail on the head, uh, there's an aversion to making a decision in Washington because of the next election. And what you're going to find out, and you probably saw this in the military, um, politicians are worried about their next election. Statesmen are worried about their next generations. And we're hoping you're a statesman 
but the administrative state has growing because of Congress's usurping or allowing their power to be usurped by the administrative agencies and courts and, um, you know, challenges in the court. And this goes back to two primary cases, Chata versus INS. It was an immigration case and uh, the Chevron deference case. I don't want to go into those. People can look those up. Yeah. Um, but there's that lack of political willpower. And I say that because we had a bill that would have extended um, the Medicaid and Medicare um, and Social Security. And it would have been by just removing some programs that we're funding. One of them was if, you're, if English is a second language and you're the age of 45, you get 100% of unemployment if you can't find gainful employment. And, you know, some people will find it. Other people are going to ride the system. That was one thing that we wanted to get rid of. The other one was if you're a telegraph operator, a telegraph, you know, from the 1800s, and can't uh-huh. find gainful employment, you can go on permanent uh, Social Security disability insurance. It was SSDI, not Medicare, Medicaid. Um, and then once you reach the age of 65, then you can go on Medicare or Medicaid. Um, there was one other one. If you're a harp seal uh, hunter and you can't mm-hmm. find gainful employment of killing harp seals, you get on these programs. And there's people that are doing that. Just by removing what we wanted to do and some other reforms in Social Security disability, it would have saved over 10 years $180 billion. It would have made that program solvent for about 40 years. And we took this to Republicans who you would think would jump on it, and they're like, well, Mm -hmm. I don't know. That may hurt some people. And it just it's Uh. disgusting when these people are more worried about their next election instead of the next generations and you being a military person there is that saying damn the torpedoes we're doing it anyways you know you go out there and do it the other thing you'll find and this is something when you get in there and i'm going to talk positive when you get in there you need to have the leadership and you have that with your career when i got up there i asked john boehner i said what's our long-term goal and he goes well, what are you talking about i said five ten years down the road and he looked at me just kind of puzzled he goes he goes Ted, he goes, that's, that's a lifetime in politics, five or ten years. He goes, our long, long-term goal is January, or is September. This was January, new Congress. I said, what's September? Mm. He goes, well, we got to fund the government. And so they don't have a long-term vision, and that's why you see them all over the map when they get in power. And um, that's something, If when you get in there, if you can say, let's at least look two years down the road, because that's the length of a Congress, and uh, I hope you can do well. Uh, I, 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 I'm honored by everything you just said. And, and you know, I, even though I'm going to the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives in District 10 here in Orange County, I was honored to meet one of the uh, several of the senators, three of which, uh, I mean, senators, both Senator Scott and Rubio. But then I had a chance at the CPAC to interact with uh, Senator James Paul Langford. And he just is so full of the truth about what you just said and what we need to do of Oklahoma. But he speaks as I do. This is supposed to be one nation under God. And it's not about just tomorrow. It is about generations. It's about my children and my children's children, children's children. And the worst thing is to have your great-grandchildren look back and say, wow, 
you miss three or four generations of doing the right things right and doing it right the first time in pace of passing laws versus continually doing the wrong things well and expecting us to have to go back and re-fix or undo what you knew was wrong when you started in the first place. You're right. And, so many and when you have gotten to that, but, that pit, don't want to get out. You're absolutely right. And when you make, when you stand up and bring your head above the crowd, you know how the tomatoes are going to come. Um, <laughs> if you go back, and I, I was very firm on this, I was not going to raise the debt ceiling. And, of course, the media takes the sound bites they want, and part of that sound bite was, I said, this is going to be good for the economy. And so the sound bite was, Yoho won't raise the debt ceiling, and it's going to let our country default, and he thinks this is good for the economy. And that sounds really stupid. But when you listen to my reasoning, it was, hey, hey, Houston, we have a problem here. We're, and when I went in Congress, we were at $13.5 trillion in debt. So me standing up and saying we've got a problem, we need to address our spending, and we need to get rid of the waste, fraud, and abuse in as many programs as we can. We have to have this favorite word that Washington loves is transparency and accountability, but they never do it. Um, That's it. It's to them. But when you stand up and you say, this is the problem, we need to address it. And my, my favorite saying was, you know, debt, you either deal with your debt or your debt will deal with you. And it will be austerity measures when it comes, and it's going to be very severe. And now we're at $31 trillion. Instead of the media making fun of me, what if they were to go after the other politicians saying, why aren't you getting on board and getting this stuff under control? And that's the fight you're going to have, and you're going to have to have that laser focus, and your military career has prepared you well for that. And it sounds like you have a strong Christian faith, which will protect you. God has been my witness. And at this point in my life, I'm very blessed. Like my parents, started with little, but I kept my faith, and I walked by faith, not by sight. Yes, God has put things in my path, but every time a door closed when I figured, wow, I just got blown out of this area of opportunity. He found 10 more, and then I had to make another choice. Which, which one can I have the greatest impact on returning giving back to a country that's given so much to me? So when I was there yesterday, by the way, I was at uh, an inner city event uh, called the uh, Hobnob down here in Pine Hills, Florida, yeah. where, and it was uh, at the fairgrounds, and every representative or person who's wanting to be a representative, congressman, senator, to include mayors, all the way down. It was an opportunity to meet all the candidates. And I was able to walk out of there last night after they did the straw votes, and I was the number one of those guys who already had name recognition and experience. Wow, that's great. For the Republican side in a heavily Democrat uh, community. (laughs) You're doing good because it took me right to the end to get any of that. <laughs> well, that Calvin, was great. We're gonna, we can be calling you. We're going to be calling you. We're going to be calling you Congressman Colonel Calvin Wimbish. <laughs> there you go. I just want to do what the people got. Like I told too many people last night, I'm a Christian conservative constitutionalist with common sense, and I'm going to apply that common sense. Yes, I'm proud to be a Frederick Douglass Republican, even though I look out many people, you know, they turn their heads when they say that. But if you understood what he was doing for you long before you started uh, trashing for what he gave us, 
to freedom. There is no more shackles and chains, and I said that. Then you start to rise above your circumstances and not let your heart be troubled because you don't have exactly what you want. If need be, do two jobs, even if it doesn't pay enough. It's better than having no job or letting a job because you think it's not paying you enough walk by. Because somebody's going to get that job. Why not you? And when you when you call to to our arms, you know it's, it's, it's the thing I've always said. If not me, then who? If not now, right. then when? When? And right. if, if it's the answer the call, then get out of the way because you, you you're going to get crushed. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, I had taken a friend uh, grocery shopping recently, and you both mentioned this the debt and the inflation, and it broke my heart. He's in his seventies that he's looking at stuff on the grocery shelf and he's putting things back on the shelf going, no, I can't afford that. And it came down to even just for the cat food for his cats. He's got two cats. One needs insulin. And looking at it, it just broke my heart that what a 35-cent can of cat food is now going for 83 cents. And people are having to make that hard decision, whether they get their medications or they get food, or they put gas in the mm. car or they get food. And we have a Congress that is running amok. We have a president that has doesn't even know how to stand up without falling down. Um, and we've a presidential uh, first lady that doesn't even know when she insults a whole section of our society with breakfast tacos and Bodegas instead of bodega. I mean, holy. I mean, it, where are their hands? Well, then, then they but, go after that military person that says a comment about her, and they take him, they, they suspend him, that retired admiral. or Admiral, yes, sir. Took him out of a $92 then, job because he said he spoke the truth. That's right, but yet they'll let, let that kind of stuff go. And then I know we are all of the age where we remember when the Democrats were in charge and they were bashing the Republicans about you're making people choose between their health care and taking their medication. But now when it's flipped over, they're, they're mum to the word. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And when they don't even know what a price of a gallon of milk goes for much less a can of cat food. Uh, and this is going into, you know, discount stores, too, to buy this stuff. And they're so out of touch. And they continue to do what we called at the start of the Tea Party quantitative easing, printing money with no backing to it. Thank you, Richard Nixon, for taking us off the gold standard. Uh, mm. You know, there, there's so many ways in which we can still fix this economy. But, Calvin, do you think think we're going to be able to get enough of a red wave of people of like mind as you and Ted to start taking the reins of this government back and bring this Republican back to what our founding fathers meant it to be? I'm going to answer that by a biblical way of saying, I like the mustard seed. I'm going to be strong in my unsteadfast in my faith that when you plant it and you plant it right, you believe you will receive the fruit of your labor. I believe there's enough patriots military and non-military, people who love America for what it stands for, what it was written under this Constitution to be, that if we get this wave and people say a, a red wave, I'm going to go to the point of saying it's going to be a tsunami effect that's going to occur, 
and the Democrats are setting themselves up for it to occur, and that's fine with me. Because until we shut them down, take the media out of their control, where the media will start being honest reporters of the truth and the whole truth, not like that sham of a display that happened on January, and they're telling us the story about January 6th. It was ridiculous how much they left out, and they parsed it all together to paint the kind of narrative and picture they wanted Americans to believe. And unfortunately, many of my friends still are glued to Comedy News Network, or CNN, (laughs) uh, (laughs) MSNBC, and the rest of them who keep repeating the same lie. And they had the nerve to take OAN off of the uh, network, and people had DirecTV and AT&T, and now you have to go out on the network and and get it separately. But you only have two or three uh, networks in the media. We keep saying the media, but there was some media that was good. Uh, Newsmax and, and the others, we're not trying to promote them all, but uh, Fox, they were trying to do the right things right. But all the people have now is the ones who've been boiling the, the stew and the soup of stupidity to listen to. And so they come out each day, and after the end of the week of hearing the same old narrative, they believe what Booker T. Washington says. Just because they say it doesn't make it true. And we have to That's break right. that up. So we're going to have a tsunami, I believe, in my heart. Uh, I've talked to and been receiving enough emails in Texas from across this nation from other guys like me. And there's some, I won't mention their names, who are currently in place and said, we need help. And they're, they're fearful. But I learned a long time ago, you know, people don't know what's on the other side of fear. And we are, remember a great general says the only thing to fear is fear itself. But exactly. the other side of fear is, is freedom. And we get freedom back to make the enact the right laws and legislation. Then we can do the things for our people, the whole people, all, all the people of this nation. And we need to shut down this crisis of rate, rising crime, rising prices. Uh, let's find these little niches of people who are only here to hurt our nation. Put them in jail if they're gone there. Get them back to the countries where they came from and go back through the front door, not coming through the walls and over the walls and under the walls and illegal means and bringing all this, the ugliness from us that we've been trying not to have in our nation since it was first started. But people insist on letting our defenses down, and that's not what a, a warrior does for his nation, and I'm a warfighter. We're going to have to, I, like I said, I'd rather go into harm's way and give it my best and stand and watch the worst become our norm in our nation. Yeah, it's 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 a mindset, a mentality, when you know that while everyone else is running away from the fight, we're the ones that are running head first into it. And uh, right now, my county council is not going to be seeing me coming, and when they do, mm, <laughs> Hurricane Annie is going to be exploding on them. It's, you you will really well, enjoy sure this. Uh, well, I think they, there's a, gotten, a lot of you like you said, Mama Bear, yeah. Papa Ben, like this Hurricane Annie. I got to write that one down. <laughs> well, unfortunately, YouTube has now banned me. Otherwise, there is an actual video up there of Hurricane Annie going after my county council. Uh, I hope I have it saved on my computer. But yes, <laughs> Hurricane Annie. It does. They know when they see me coming. It's like, oh crap, what now? You've got to appreciate well, this. I, At the height of the pandemic, they voted themselves a raise, a rather hefty raise. While people are being laid off because businesses are closed for the mandatory lockdown, 
and everything else that was going on during the, the onset of the pandemic, they vote themselves a raise. The newest thing is, is that they want to preserve the open space, the, na- the nature of our, mm-hmm. our community, which is a really great ideal. Well, the way they're going to do that is to raise taxes so that they can buy up all this open space, thus taking it off the tax roll. So because they will not enforce the laws and regulations that prevent overgrowth, overdevelopment, or development that is not suited to our community, instead of using what is in place and doing their job, they take the easy way out, they get us to pay for it, while we are having a hard time paying for gas, medicine, and food, so increase our taxes so it makes it even harder to buy that. So they can take the easy way out and say, oh, look at a marvelous job we did. We stemmed the overgrowth. This is what you're going to be dealing with when you hit Congress. It's that mindset that has gone up the food chain. And, Calvin, you're going to have yourself one heck of a fight. I love it. I love a good you know, when they say fight, I told a young man yesterday, they talked about January 6th. The president didn't tell them to go fight physically, to go and disrupt, destroy. There were people that were implanted into the crowds. And those who know the truth, they will be exposed because I believe those of us, when we are able to have the majority, and one of the first things I'm going to legislate for is to unseal and reveal the truth behind the entire story as to what is not being told the public today, just like the Russia, 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 took four years to realize it was just a joke, a hoax of an effort to make us deplorable, as they were saying. But now, you know what? We're honorable in terms of what we deplore, ugliness, and lies. And we will change this narrative. Bring it on. I know there's a lot of strong people on the left that, that doesn't like what I'm saying, but there's a lot of us on the right who want to bring our country back to the focal point, we we take God out of everything. They want to take it out of the Pledge of Allegiance, take it off the coins, off our dollars. Don't want the kids to even recite it, but yet they want to teach them all the wrongness that brings divisiveness into our, our culture. We can't we can't do this. And Governor DeSantis, you're absolutely right. To correct you know, in the twenty six in the twenty sixteen presidential election, uh, the Democrat platform took God out of their um, their platform. They caught so much flack, they put they had to put it back in there. And that tells you who they are, and they will keep trying to remove that. And the way society works is it may take five, six, ten years, but they will remove it from their platform. And that tells you who they are at heart. Calvin, if I may ask, and just I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you if you could pick three things, number one, what committees you want to be on, but three things that you think this nation needs to address that are urgent, what would they be? It's right to the top of my brain that came, and the Ways and Means Committee is one of the first ones I want to be on, but right, right. to the top of my brain comes from the interaction for me to earn the petitions, and here in Florida I had to get over 3,000 petitions. I went out and beat the ground and Literally, my uh, team kept track of roughly 10,000 people to get 3,000 petitions. And in its context of what everybody said to me, I said, if you could change the world today, and based on how it is and the economy and, and everything else that you're facing, what would be the top three things? And I've taken this as part of my platform, which anyone can see on the VoteCal2022.org website. Energy, economy, the economy, 
and education underscore parental rights. We need to get our economy back in place, obviously. And it would have been fine had they not had these executive orders killed that President Trump had put into place. And if we had changed those into laws, which the Congress purposely, because they couldn't come together with a common theme for the people first, they weren't about, like you said, next year's election, how much funding they need to do the, the year, our economy wouldn't be broke where all of us, regardless of party, whether you're nonpartisan, Republican, or Democrat, we're all suffering at food and gas being equally too high. And now you have to make those choices, just like she spoke, spoke to a minute ago. When you have to well, Cap- now have to say, go ahead. All right, I'm sorry, because i got my next guest in on the studio here. Yeah. But people can uh, help you with your campaign by going to votecal2020.org. There is a link up on the show page so that when people <laughs> listen in the archives or as they're listening now actively, they can click on it, look at your platform, uh, look at your, what your priorities are, which is also uh, our nation's security, uh, and help you with your campaign and push you over the top so that you become the next Congressman from Florida District 10. Absolutely. Well, let me correct that. VoteCal2022.org. Oh, I'm apologizing. Yeah, 2022. <laughs> okay, I, I, I got to be a good listener as well. <laughs> I've always told that too. 2022.org. And uh, I just love to tell the folks listen, the A in my name is for America first. And in my mind, <laughs> American God synonymous because we need him in our, our country. And the L means loyalty to that flag that I, I took the Code of Conduct Article 6 and swore upon my life to do the right thing in integrity, honor, respect, and never lie, cheat, or steal. I'm not going there to steal anything from the, my constituents, elect me, and I promise you, I will do the right things right and do it right the first time. Well, God bless you, Calvin, good. and good luck. Best and we'll have you back. You. We'll have Thank you back. Thank you. I look forward to talking you said uh, check my website and be in contact all right we'll do well Thank now you we... and good luck all right well now see we made a hookup here ted you know former congressman to a, a future congressman let's welcome uh, right. uh, on to the show dr murray sabrin uh i misspelled his name in the studio but that's all right uh dr murray we have with us as a guest co-host because curtis will be joining us at three o'clock uh congressman ted yoho well, Kat Kamak now has his seat, but he is my guest co-host today. So welcome, Dr. Murray. How are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for the invitation to discuss uh, critical issues facing the country, to say the least. That's great. Um, I look forward to hearing from you, and um, um, it, it's an honor to have you on. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's great being with people who, uh, who understand what's going on, and, uh, and we'll talk about the solutions uh, rather than talk, complaining about what's going on. Uh, what I've been trying to do in my writings over the past uh, 45 years is to present common-sense solutions, uh, whether it's on the economy, foreign policy, social issues, that I think uh, most people will accept as uh, the best way to deal with uh, and have a harmonious society. Well, Dr. Murray, uh, the last time we had you on, we were talking about your book, Navigating the Boom-Bust Cycle, uh, which people can find up on Amazon or on your website, which is your name, Murray Sabrin, S-A-B-R-I-N dot com. But you've got a new one coming out, which is called The Finance of Healthcare, Wellness and Innovative Approaches to Employee Medical Insurance. That's a mouthful. 
Uh, when is that due to come out? That's coming out in the fall. I just got an um, email from the uh, production editor saying it's now in the queue to uh, get ready for typesetting. And so uh, it's, it's a process, as you know, that they go over everything line by line to make sure all the dots are, uh, all the I's are dotted and all the T's are uh, crossed and uh, get ready for production. So I'm hoping that'll be out uh, early October, November. And the other exciting thing I'm working on is my autobiography, which is a political journey from the time I came to this country in 1949 as an infant. Uh, when uh, my parents became U.S. citizens in 1954, I became a citizen in 1959. And my political journey from uh, basically um, uh, a liberal Democrat in the 1960s to a libertarian in the 1970s and beyond. Well, you know, I... Ronald Reagan was one who embraced libertarianism, but he was able to bring it into the Republican Party to show them how much yep. there is a similarity between the two, and he did it so magnificently. I mean, I don't agree with 100% of the, some of the things he did, uh, but when he offered amnesty to illegal aliens, I was screaming at the TV when he was doing that, but overall, I would say he did a pretty damn good job. Um, I'm trying to figure out where I wanted to start with you. Oh, yeah. Um, the Fed is threatening to increase the rate, and they say by so many points. Can you explain to a layman what that means uh, when the Fed says they're raising, say, 100 points? How does that translate to the everyday person so they'll understand how it's going to affect them? Yeah, this is, I think, uh, one of the most important issues facing the country since I wrote a dissertation uh, 40 years ago at Rutgers University on inflation. And I looked at how monetary policy is conducted in the United States and what are the impacts of mon monetary policy. It is very simple. The basic impact is that you get an unsustainable boom where businesses hire workers, they uh, increase production in the hope that uh, the new money that's being created by the Fed will be uh, sustainable when, of course, it's not because what new money does when it enters the economy, it raises prices, raises wages, and causes distortions in the economy. Well, now, what's a distortion? Well, we saw this uh, in the housing bubble. That's a distortion where there was so much demand for housing and prices went through the roof that eventually the bubble burst. So a, a boom that the Fed generates is, creates an unsustainable bubble. We saw that in the dot-com era. We saw this in the housing bubble. And now we have what people have called the everything bubble. Everything's been inflated from cars to, uh, to uh, uh, collectibles to artwork to housing. Uh, food prices are going through the roof. Gasoline prices, everyone knows, has just skyrocketed the last year 60%, which is unfathomable that we would have such a huge increase in gas prices. So when the Fed does that by by creating new money, that money has to go somewhere. It goes into the pockets, first of all, of the banks. They're the initial recipients of the new money. That money is then loaned out for housing and business expansion. That money then diffuses through the economy, spreads through the economy, and uh, we have good times. These are the good times that don't last forever. Now, we could have good times that last forever, that's, but that's a separate discussion. But let's talk about the Fed. So the, but for the Fed to do what they do, is they pump money in, they lower interest rates, because when they pump money in, they drop the interest rate on short-term borrowing. And so the banks have an incentive to lend money out because their cost of money has gone down, and they make the difference between what it costs them to get money from depositors to what they get from borrowers. 
And so that's the spread that banks work on. That's called net interest margin. And when, when the economy is rolling, they make a lot of money. So when inflation heats up like it has the past year, the Fed gets very nervous because people are upset about the higher prices. And so what the Fed does, it starts withdrawing money from the banking system, and that tends to raise interest rates, which is what has been happening for the past six months. And so the Fed said that they're going to raise interest rates a half a point, three-quarters of a point, maybe even one percentage point. What that will do is raise short-term interest rates. It raises long-term interest rates, so that will cool down the housing market. And we're starting to see softness in the housing market around the country. In fact, we see the uh, housing stocks, companies, uh, the stock of companies that uh, are publicly held, like Lennar and Pulte and uh, D.A. Horton, they've come down tremendously since the beginning of the year because it looks like their profits are going to be really shrinking this year and into next year. So what you have now is basically uh, an unsustainable boom that's unwinding. Now, the question is, how long will this boom last? Now, there's some evidence that this recession is already here. Last year, I wrote an article saying that I believe the recession will start next year, uh, and we can discuss why. But right now, we have strong employment. There are 11 million unfilled jobs in America which we never have at the beginning of a recession. Usually you have jobs contracting, not available for the average person. So you have a very strange situation in America where the economy is contracting to some degree, I mean, especially in the housing sector, the automobile sector to some degree as well, and retail sales are, are, are somewhat shaky because as prices go up, people start to what? Withdraw from the marketplace because they don't want to pay higher prices. They want to wait till prices come down or at least level off. So you have a situation where the Fed says they're going to raise rates to cool demand in the economy, and that will spread through the economy, and so we will get a contraction in economic activity somewhere down the road, and it could be pretty severe like we saw in the housing crash of 2007-2008 where the, where the economy took a big hit, especially in the housing sector and all the industries related to the housing sector like the uh, banks and the brokerage firms and and uh, companies like that. So um, this is what's been happening since the Fed was created. They gave us an unsustainable boom in the 1920s, and it, that led to the Depression, which was, which was exasperated, exasperated by uh, Herbert Hoover's policies and FDR's policies. So they took a recession, depression, that should have lasted one or two years at the most, and they turned it into a decade-long phenomenon which was unprecedented in American history. Now, we haven't had anything like that since the 1930s, but the point is we've had these very severe downturns. And uh, my book, Navigating the Boom Bust Cycle, provides guidance for business owners, entrepreneurs, CFOs, CEOs, of what to look for as the economy unfolds so they can make the best out of it instead of having to maybe go to bankruptcy or to um, uh, just go out of business because business conditions get so bad that they uh, that the demand is not there for their products and services. So um, where we are right now is we're nearing the end of this cycle that began at the depths of the housing bubble crash in 2009, and we've had a decade-long expansion except for two years ago when we had the COVID implosion. That was not a typical recession. That was basically caused by the lockdowns, and so the economy collapsed in the first and second quarter of 2020 and then recovered substantially as the economy opened up. But right now we're in a classic uh, business cycle uh, uh, downswing that should begin, I think, no later than last uh, next year, but it's possible it could happen this year.
Well, you know, Dr. Sabrina, looking at, go ahead. Oh, Amy. I'm sorry, Ted. Uh, I, was, I was just looking at stuff that was going on in my local area, my state here in South Carolina, and we've had a huge drop uh, this quarter in housing sales compared to what it was, you know, previously. And we're talking double-digit drop, where we're now in the negative on housing sales, where we were in the positive. So we're already seeing the closing in the housing market. It's no longer a, a, a seller's market. It's going to start becoming a buyer's market because prices are, when it closes like that, housing prices are going to drop. Now, mm-hmm. for an average individual, the, the plain Jane like me, I'm retired. Uh, I'm not a business owner any longer. I'm not out there in the job market any longer. But I did something very smart, which is I dropped a lot of my high credit cards and other loans. I dropped them through a refinance, also dropping how much I'm paying uh, monthly. So I was already looking ahead saying, wait a minute, I'm seeing a crash coming, so I'm going to drop my household expenses so that when it does Mm -hmm. hit, I can get through it. But there's a lot of people out there that don't have that safety net. What do you tell them? This is probably the most difficult thing that we're seeing in America today. How many people are living paycheck by paycheck? And um, you know, 40 years ago when we had the uh, the uh, downturn in the economy in 1981 and 82, I lost my job in Massachusetts in 1982, and my wife was wasn't working, and we were in really bad shape financially. Fortunately, our parents helped us out to get us through this difficult uh, situation, and then. Uh, but, but the most important thing, and this is really difficult for the average person who's living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck, because I was working on the investment side of this company, and one of the strict rules that we had, of course, people had to follow it. We couldn't force them to do it, is to have at least three to six months of living expenses in a savings account or a money market account in case if you do get laid off, you'll get unemployment insurance and enough money in your savings account to tide you over until you get your next job. Now, I'm being very, I'm very cautious financially, so I like to keep at least a year, sometimes more than that, in, in, in uh, cash equivalent, either a checking account or a savings account or a money market account, because you just never know. Now that I'm retired, it doesn't matter because with Social Security and pension money coming in, we're not in that same situation as people who are working. So the, the, the balance that people have to have financially in their lives is to get the job that they love, make sure their expenses are well below what they're taking home and pay and saving as much as they can in a 401k or an IRA and making sure they put money aside for their uh, reserve account, which is three to six months, at least six months of uh, monthly expenses. If you do that starting in your 20s, and this takes a lot of discipline because uh, we have the mentality in America that you've got to buy, 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 and we don't defer putting off our things that we want for a year, two or three years or five years. And so that's a difficult thing to do. I learned that a long time ago because I didn't grow up in a very wealthy family in the 1950s in New York City. So we we pinched our pennies back in the 1950s. My mother was great clipping coupons from the newspaper. Oh, yeah. She would save a bundle of of money. And when she moved to New Jersey uh, after she retired in the 1980s, she taught the women whose children she was babysitting for how to clip coupons, and they thanked her so much for that because if you could save $10, $15 a week from clipping coupons over many years, that adds up. There's a woman in New York City 
who uh, used to be on TV a lot, uh, on Regis Philbin's show back in the day, and she literally put her kids through college for the money that she saved by clipping coupons. And yes, so yes. you can do it. You can save money by buying smartly in the supermarket or in the big box stores and clipping those coupons and looking for every bargain that's out there. And that takes work. Yeah. That's sort of a part-time job. That Here's the beauty part of that part-time job. You don't have to pay taxes on it. So this is <laughs> no, tax-free no. money. No, I, I always look, when I go in there with the coupons, if I save uh, 10%, I said, all right, I did okay, but I can do better. But I was showing a friend of mine when he was trying to decide what product to buy, what was the best value. I'm telling him, trying to explain to him how to look at the unit cost. Don't look at the total yes. dollar cost. Look at the mm-hmm. unit cost. Because if you're going to have to come back and buy it again, you're spending twice as much money. And that's something yep. else people don't understand. There's a lot that we can do. But, Ted, you had a question for uh, Dr. Sabred. I did, uh, Doc, if you don't mind me asking. Um, you know, I think that's all great advice for people today to save, to, you know, make their money, uh, stretch your money, make it go farther. But I read that 80% of all U.S. currency today was printed in the last two years. And my question to you is, do you have a feel for how much that money has been devalued in the last two years and how much that has contributed to the inflation we see? And will we ever be able to regain more value in that dollar being a fiat currency? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you look at 2020. 2020 was was really one of those unique years in American financial history. The money supply, the broad money supply called M2, which is basically cash checking accounts, money market accounts, savings accounts, went up by 25% or so. That is an enormous increase in the amount of new money that entered the economy. And what and what did that cause? It caused the inflation we're now seeing today and wages going up less so than prices going up. And so that money's in the system. It hasn't take, been taken out. So that money sloshing around in people's checking accounts, savings accounts, what have you. And so that money is being used to bid up goods and services around the country. And, of course, as companies see their costs go up, they try to pass on those costs to their, their consumers. Some of them are successful in doing that. Some of them are not successful because we all know we all have our preferences for goods at certain prices. So in other words, uh, we were in um, – Costco the other day. My wife uh, wanted to buy an item. It used to be $12. It's now $18. We still bought it because she likes the item. But the point is, that shows you in a, in a local level how prices have increased enormously the last year. So will the dollar regain its purchasing power? No, because the dollar has been losing its purchasing power virtually every year since the Federal Reserve was created in 1913 because they have the power that no one else has, which is to create new money. If we create money, we get, a, we get a, a raid by the Secret Service saying, hey, you're printing money. Only the Federal Reserve has the right to print money legally. And so that's the dilemma we have, is, and rightly so. If we all printed our own money, we, we, we would all print, what, that $100 bills at infinitum to buy the things we want. Sure. So, so the point is, by having a money monopoly at the Federal Reserve, they think they right. can manage the economy by their policies. And that's, I think, one of the greatest fallacies in economics today is that Thank everyone you. across the political <laughs> spectrum, everyone in the business world thinks a, uh, a central bank is necessary. Well, what's the word for central bank? It's a form of central planning. And we know central planning doesn't work. So central banking is really an extension of the notion that somehow 
people on the top of the political and economic uh, totem pole in Washington, D.C. can determine the outcome of a $20 trillion economy, which is what the U.S., by manipulating interest rates. It just doesn't work because we have the history of the Federal Reserve. The economy works so well in a free enterprise environment where buyers and sellers get together and prices, and this is the thing that economists don't understand. In a free enterprise economy, in a free market economy, prices go down. Because as the supply of right. goods and services go up and you have a basic uh, money supply that is virtually stable, prices have to come down. And I first learned that, not learned that, but I understood that when I was a kid in the 1950s when color television was introduced in the marketplace and it was $1,000 in, in the mid-1950s. That was an enormous amount of money. That's comparable to $10,000 today. And so I said to myself, as a little kid in elementary school, I said, why would anyone buy a new product at that price? You wait till production revs up and prices right. all come down. Right. That's exactly what's happened to television, to other uh, high-tech products over the last 30, 40 years. And this is the beauty of the free enterprise system that the people in Washington completely don't understand and, and neither do most economists. No, I well, agree with that. But in today's market, can, can there be an adjustment of the dollar gaining more value with 80% of the money being new money since um, two years ago. So it's had to depress the value of that dollar. And I don't know at what point it just is a point of no return where, you know, a dime back in 19 or a dollar back in uh, the early 1900s was a dollar. Today it's worth probably about four or five cents. Um, right, and correct. I look at that next generation, if we got 80% more money diluting the money that was already out there, um, I don't know if there's a, a point of no return or if we've reached it or if we can get out of it. What's your thoughts? Well, well, here's what I thought. When I started learning about this in the 1970s, when I was doing research for my dissertation about inflation, I started reading all these histories of monetary destruction around the world. Countries that have gone through monetary destruction, the most famous one being Germany after World War I, where, right, you, where right. there were pictures on, on the web of people having wheelbarrows full of money to go to the store and uh, people using the money as wallpaper or, or burning it into the furnace to heat their homes. And so that is, that is an extreme example of hyperinflation, which we, we saw in Zimbabwe and in, in, uh, Africa recently, where they pin, printed up $100 trillion notes in Zimbabwe. We're seeing it to some degree in Venezuela right I now. I have one. They're just printed I up. have one. We're just, yeah, I, I have one in my wallet. It's a great, collection. <laughs> it's a great collector's <laughs> item. And so when I first learned about this, now the dollar is, is unique because it's the world's reserve currency. What does that mean? It means that other countries have to use dollars to buy oil and commodities in the international marketplace. When I, when I started learning about this, it, it, the conclusion I reached is, as long as people around the world accept the dollar, the dollar will not decline like it did in Germany after World War I. People will still use the dollar, and it will be sort of a drip, drip, drip of losing value every year, 2 3 4 5%. Right. In the past year, we've lost 9% in purchasing power according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics CPI measurement. So the dollar is going to keep on losing its value. The only way the dollar will gain in value if the, if the Federal Reserve starts deflating the supply of money and credit in the economy. And that really hasn't happened since uh, 1929, 1932, when the money supply shrank. The, the stock market crashed 89% and uh, everything came crashing down. But the, the dollar is going to keep on losing its value as long as we have the Federal Reserve because their whole mindset is they've got to create money 
over the long term to to prop up the economy. The economy doesn't need propping up. That's another myth, is that the economy, a free market economy, works exceedingly well because the price system, economics 101, balances supply and demand. And so if you understand that, then you don't need a central bank to try to manipulate uh, the interest rate or try to... Boy, uh, I sure wish, uh, cr- go ahead. I, I sure wish we could have had you in a conversation with Jerome Powell back when I was in Congress. <laughs> About four months into the pandemic, because he he just was talking about how we had to print money, how we had to do all this stuff and get this money out there. And I my argument was with what you said. And, um, you know, here we are two years later. And of course, it's a mess. It, uh, this is so predictable. I mean, uh, in 2020, when I saw the money supply numbers going through the roof, we know there's a lag between the, the time the money is is. Uh, created and the time prices rise it usually takes about a year or so for the for that new money to spread through the economy raising prices and we're seeing it here in 2022 we saw it at the end of 2021 and um you know they're blaming it on biden and i think that's a little bit unfair as much as i dislike what biden uh uh represents in terms of policy it's it's the fed stupid i mean i i've been writing about this for (laughs) 45 years and um you know, before, uh, as you know, Ron Paul used to uh, question Greenspan right. when uh, when Greenspan was chairman of the Fed and Ron Paul was a member of the House Financial Services Committee. And I read Greenspan's great essay from 1966, uh, Gold and Economic Freedom, where he lays out this case that the Fed is the creator and the stabilizer of the economy, creator of money and the stabilizer of the economy. And yet what does Greenspan do 19 years ahead of the Fed? He creates two bubbles. The, the, the dot-com That's bubble right. and the housing That's bubble. Right. And, and, and so people uh, – and, and the thing is, Greenspan should have known better because he was writing about this back in the 1950s and 60s. And, and so when he became part of the Fed or the head of the Fed, uh, he just basically accepted the institutional role of the Fed of uh, being the manipulator of uh, money and credit and interest rates. And here we are in, 19, in 2022 when we have the worst of both worlds. We're heading into a recession. Prices are rising at double-digit rates. Uh, no matter what the uh, CPI says, uh, prices are going up through the roof of things that people buy, gasoline, utilities, uh, food, uh, clothing. Um, the, the only thing that's going down are high-tech items. I mean, uh, to give you an example, this is the thing I was, uh, I'm writing in my autobiography. In 1968, when I got married, we bought a black-and-white 15-inch TV for $100. $100 in 1968 is, is comparable to $800 today. You know what kind of beautiful... Wow. High definition television you can buy for eight hundred dollars today. Yeah, that shows you the power of the productivity of the high tech sector, and this this is why I've been promoting free enterprise for the last forty five fifty years since I really began to understand it in the late sixties early seventies. And I said, if we go down this road, one day when the dollar is no longer accepted, it becomes checkmate. Because then what do, what do foreigners do with all the dollars that they have? They're going to cash them in for gold, silver, uh, real estate, sure. you name it, because they don't want to hold dollars anymore. And the Fed and I think we're real curve. close to that. You know, I'm, well, I sat on foreign affairs, and one of the things that our government was doing just left and right was putting sanctions on people in countries yeah. and people in countries. And I argued against that and saying, you know, you're throwing these things around. People are going to become immune to them. They're going to work around them, and it's going to take the dollar out of the petrodollars. It's going to collapse the dollar. And there were some people that agreed with me, and other people just kind of laughed, oh, that will never happen. But 
I tell you what, ask Venezuela if that happened and, um, you know, all these other countries that have failed. And, um, you know, it's, it's there. If we don't get the right people in there to do the right thing and have a backbone to say we're going to stop this craziness, and God bless uh, the people that are running that um, will be willing to stand up and fight that. Well, Dr. Well, the, Murray, the, the, I have a question. Yeah, I'm sure. sorry. Talking about the value of the dollar, uh, yesterday it broke that the dollar for the first time since the, the creation of the euro now equals a euro. So right. are we already seeing the start of the dollar to collapse at this point? Because that, that's going to change the trade. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the proper word. Dynamics of goods yes. and services yes. uh, between Europe and here. Yeah, this is an example of, of, of the world that we live in since 1971 of fiat currency, where each currency is basically an IOU of each government instead of having the, the currency backed by gold, which is historically what happened in the 19th century and early 20th century. So right now we don't have real money. We just have uh, government entries into our checking account by computer. And, and this is the sad reality of how central banking uh, manipulates the, the, the value of the currency. But the most important point I, I want to make, and this is probably something that every member of Congress has ignored, and that is with inflation running at 9%, we are getting zero, virtually 0% interest on our savings account. Now, in the 40 years ago, when we had 12% inflation, I remember getting 16% on my money market account in early uh, uh, 1981, 1982. Now we're losing 8%, 9% a year of purchasing power on our savings. So if there are trillions of dollars in savings in the banks and money market accounts, the American people are losing hundreds of billions of dollars in interest because of the Federal Reserve's policies of suppressing interest rates. This is probably the greatest financial scandal in human history, and no one that I've seen in the Congress standing up for the American saver. And this to me, and where is AARP with all their members who have savings accounts, and, and they're not getting anything on their savings? Where is AARP screaming at the top of their lungs? Our members are getting literally the financial disaster that the Federal Reserve has created by suppressing interest rates. And uh, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, is trying to get on as many talk radio shows as possible to sound the alarm and to let people know that it doesn't have to be this way. But we need a readjustment. We need clear thinking in Washington. We need to have the truth about money and banking in the United States and um, get the federal government out of the economy as much as possible because we know they don't create the goods and services people want. It's the men and women entrepreneurs on Main Street and in, and in the large corporations that are doing so. And so that's why I believe in, in free enterprise and uh, all the good things that come with it, namely entrepreneurship. I mean, the entrepreneur is a hero in America. It's not, sure. it's not the people in Washington, D.C. It's the entrepreneurs who know what people want, the goods and services that people want, and keep on doing that at lower and lower prices. And so the point I've been making uh, recently is that the reason inflation has been subdued the last 40 years is because of WAC, Walmart, Amazon, and China. They're, they're the yeah. three entities that basically have made it possible for the American consumer to buy goods at relatively low prices over time. And uh, remember, China was not important to the world economy 40 years ago, and so all the money that the Fed created in the 1970s under the Carter administration, under G. William Miller, that money stayed in America, and that lifted prices enormously in the late 70s, early 80s, whether it was real estate, whether it was commodities, 
whether it was other products, uh, goods and services. And so now the Federal Reserve has an outlet for all the new money that's great because we're buying stuff from China and uh, Southeast Asia and Europe. And so that money is sloshing around the world economy and uh, prices all over the world are just going crazy. There's a supplement to the Wall Street Journal today of uh, real estate, and it shows prices are just astronomical in parts of the country that there are some parts of the country where I can only afford a doorknob of some of these houses. I mean, there's about <laughs> 10, 20 million dollars for houses that years ago were probably it been one or two crazy. million dollars. You brought up something yeah. really important, the free enterprise system, and it's under attack and there's a political party attacking it. And they, they like to call themselves Democrats. I have another name for them. And then you also said that the, the free enterprise system is really what's built the small businesses and built their economy and made it strong. But there was a president not too long ago says, you didn't build your business. If you yeah, think you yeah. built your business, you're crazy. The government built it, and he's the one that's leading that charge against the free enterprise system. And until we get rid of that mindset and elect people that will push yeah. back on that, we are going to go through some tough times. Oh, there's no question about it. The word that really annoys me to no end is when AOC and the rest of those left-wingers in Congress talk about the greed of business people. Well, what about the greed of government that keeps on spending money like there's no tomorrow? Your favorite person, Ted. I can't, I can't speak of AOC. I'll get in trouble again. No, no. But when I hear her say things that is just so off the wall, and she was an economics major, that shows you what economics uh, teaching is like at the college level where she went. Yeah, but really. If she any, yeah, if she knew anything about economics, it's it's supply and demand and prices and entrepreneurship, and and having a, a, a stable monetary system uh, where people are confident in the future value of the currency, which of course is not happening today, and so. When people like that talk about healthcare as a right, no, it's not. Healthcare is a service, just like any other service. Admittedly, it's an important service, but so are so is food. So should we, should we collectivize? Man, farms? I love to hear you because, say that. <laughs> I mean, it's absurd. I mean, it's absurd about this notion that there are free goods out there. The only free good is air. And uh, if you want air conditioning there, that's not free. You need air conditioning to get air, uh, cool air in the summertime, whether it's in South Carolina or, or I am in Florida. So the, the only free goods are is that uh, the air that we breathe outside our, our home and in our apartment. But otherwise, everything has a price. Everything has a cost. And this is the, something that economists don't even figure out. I mean, you read Paul Krugman's column in the, in the New York Times. He sounds like he's some third-rate hack politician. Out of the new, out of the third world country, and um, uh, he he just doesn't understand the economy. And you have Janet Yellen, the Secretary of the Treasury, who is Fed Chairman, oh, and she says, <laughs> and, and, and she and she and she says inflation surprised us. Well, if you look at the money supply numbers, as we talked about earlier, when the money supply increases twenty five percent, where do they think that money's going to go? People don't bury their money in the backyard. The money right. goes through the banking system. It goes through the business world. It goes through people's pockets as higher wages, and prices are bid up. And so this is the amazing thing about people who are making policy. They know so little about the economy that uh, it's embarrassing. I mean, I spent my whole life either teaching finance, economics, giving lectures about it, and you have people making statements that you wouldn't expect a freshman to make in college, yet they're making them, and people and, and the media – don't challenge them on, on their statements. And so you well, have they're making that. policies. They're making policies uh, on that ignorance. Uh, okay. That's the scary thing. 
Well, what's even scarier is Janet Yellen going over to China demanding that they restructure our, our debt and the debt of Sri Lanka. <clears throat> now, the Chinese are probably sitting back there, their hands clutching their bellies, laughing their butts off. I, yeah. Does this woman have a brain underneath that wig she I wears? Mean, I mean, it, it is it, it is embarrassing. I mean, my students, I taught financial history in the United States for my last seven, eight years at the college, Brown Poe College in New Jersey. And students loved the course because they, they, they understood, they found out about how American history, American financial history unfolded. And they never knew these things. They never got in the history course because history professors are really ignorant of economics and finance. They never got in any other course because I like to give the overall picture of things, even when I was teaching corporate finance and securities and investments. Everything takes place in, in a framework. The framework is the U.S. economy. And the U.S. economy has been an engine of economic growth for more than 200 years because of the free enterprise system, because of supply and demand. And when the government intervened, whether it was early on with the uh, uh, First Bank of the United States, the Second Bank of the United States, and the National Banking Act during the Civil War and the printing of greenbacks during the Civil War, all these interventions in the economy caused terrible consequences, booms and busts. And then when the, we got that big bust in uh, financial panic in 1907, the Wall Street people got together with the bankers and, and they laid the foundation for the creation of the Federal Reserve, which was to ba basically bail out the banks when they went well going under. And so the Federal Reserve was created by the bankers with the help of politicians in, in Washington to bail out the uh, banking system, which we saw throughout, uh, happening for the past 100 plus years since the Federal Reserve was created. So, the, And this is part of the progressive period. Remember, the Federal Reserve and the income tax were created the same year. This is part of the plan of the progressives to put more and more decision-making in the hands of Washington, D.C.'s politicians and bureaucrats at the expense of the American entrepreneur and the American family. But that well, decision-making was they might vote on that, but it's the people behind that, that deep state that's directing those people, and that's yeah. the part that needs to be gone after. Sorry, Andy, well, I, is, I, I know you're jumping in there. No, that's all right. Oh, yeah. That is right, because we were discussing the deep state, these regulatory committees, all these alphabet soup agencies out there that run no matter who is in control of government. They are the silent cogs that keep on going, and they don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat or whatever no, no. you are. They're entrenched. This, this is the administrative state that uh, people write about. These are the people that are part of the permanent bureaucracy that uh, makes, uh, make rules and regulations that the rest of us uh, have to follow, whether it's the FDA, the Federal Drug Administration, uh, the uh, IRS, and these other alphabet soup agencies. They just run havoc over the business community uh, with, the, with their rules and regulations, which, are, which is another example of a tax because of a business person business decision maker, business owner has to follow some rule and regulation that doesn't do anything to provide goods and services to the consumer, that increases the cost structure of businesses. And that means they're either profits go down or they try to pass on those costs to, to the consumer. And if, and if the Federal Reserve doesn't create the money, then there's a real squeeze on the entrepreneur. So when you look at the economic data for the country, you look at what's happened in the, in the post-war period since World War II, the U.S. economy has grown by leaps and bounds, but we've had these uh, recessions. Some of them have been pretty mild, like 1990, 91, during the SNL crisis, or, or pretty mild, like 69, 70, when Nixon came in after the, uh, Vietnam, after the Great Society program started kicking in. Uh, so we've had some mild recessions, but we've had some deep recessions, of course, the last one being the uh, the uh, housing bubble uh, bust of uh, 2007, 2008. So 
the administrative state and the Federal Reserve and the federal government all work hand in hand to try to manage the U.S. economy. And uh, this is something that the American people, I don't think, realize that if central planning didn't work in the Soviet Union, didn't work in doesn't work in Cuba, uh, doesn't work in North Korea, why do we think we could have uh, a, a form of that in the United States called the administrative state, and it's going to give us good outcomes? It won't give us good outcomes, as we've seen over the decades that the, the administrative, Absolutely the administrative right. state Absolutely ha, has grown. Has grown. Right, Dr. Murray, I'm going to ask a question because I want to take this a little bit differently because you have my the, the wheels in my head are turning like crazy. The little mice are running around like crazy. Um, <laughs> are you going to see a rise of an under uh, – uh, uh, not an underworld, but an under-the-radar type of economy uh, burgeoning of barter? Because remember, a lot of our economy began with bartering before currencies sure, sure. were united. Yeah. And I, point in case, and I'm going to do this because this happened to me, I needed to replace, uh, fix my garage door and replace the uh, motor on it. And the guy came in with a really, you know, halfway decent price, comes in and does the work. And because my husband had passed away, I had all of his tools and everything in the garage. I said, well, I'll tell you what, rather than my writing a check, why don't you go shopping? So I was able to barter for the repair on the door and then a brand-new garage door opener for just what I had lying around. Would you see a barter society coming? There's no question about it. We saw this in the 1970s when we had the two episodes of double-digit inflation, once with the uh, first oil crisis in 73, 74, then again under Jimmy Carter in 79, 80 when uh, the Shah of Iran was deposed and uh, the hostages were taken in Iran. Yeah, uh, that was called the underground economy, if you recall. That was, uh, that's made big hate. I lived way, it. <laughs> uh, because, yeah, because people uh, saw that they could uh, exchange goods and services without the tax man <laughs> intervening. And so barter is a way of not only uh, not having to need cash to buy things, but it's a way of, uh, of, of tax avoidance uh, actually, tax evasion, which of course is illegal. I'm not advocating that, but that's what people do because tax evasion is illegal. Tax avoidance is t- totally legal using the tax code to reduce your tax liability. So pe- when people when people are pushed to the wall, they will do things that the that the government doesn't like, namely uh, work around the regulations. And uh, the underground economy is alive and well. We see it all over the world. This is how people survive. They survive this way in countries with authoritarian um, uh, collectivist societies, and you see this in countries where there are rigid controls, like in Cuba and in uh, Venezuela. Uh, So this is nothing new. This has been going on since the beginning of time when governments uh, tried to uh, rule over this, quote, subjects. And uh, people are not stupid. They know when they're they're getting oppressed by the government. Look what's seeing seeing in Sri Lanka right now. This is a, a, a... Right. A populist uprising against a, a tyrannical government and, and the, and, and the uh, prime minister had to flee the country. So, again, uh, there, there's a lesson here for the world's population that if things get out of hand, people – listen, America was built based upon a revolution where we kicked out the British. So um, I'm not suggesting this is going to happen here. What I did predict three years ago, by the way, before COVID, I predicted – that America would break up over the next 70 years, that the United States of America would break up into several countries or go back to the Articles of Confederation where each state would be a sovereign nation, if you will, and there would be a a very uh, weak central government. Now, that remains to be seen what's going to happen, but I think 
the point I was making three years ago in my farewell address at the college before I retired in 2020 was that culturally and economically, the country is too large, too diverse to be held together by one government. And I think we see this in the Roe versus Wade decision. I think we see this in other decisions uh, uh, coming from the Supreme Court, that there's so many contentious issues out there. How do you resolve these issues? And the answer is decentralization. And I think that right. is the solution, a nice peaceful solution to people to express their values and preferences in a geographic area where there are like-minded people uh, around them. And I think we're going to see that as time goes on. You know, MIT did a, is, is doing an ongoing study, and it started in the 70s, about the collapse of the modern civilization. And they predict by 2040, America will have the economic output and production of the early 1900s, and they said the population will be close to that too. And MIT is pretty credible, and my good friend Dave Bratta, who I'm sure you know, um, he talks the same political language as you, and he and I talk often. Well, and he's I think, the dean of Liberty University yeah, of the College of Economics or Business yeah, College. Uh, when you have a nation of 330 million people, that means there are a lot of people with diverse opinions. And so if we value diversity, right, this is the thing that people talk about, diversity, diversity, diversity. If we really value diversity, then we should allow uh, countries. I mean, California could be its own country with, what, nearly 40 million people and a, and a very large GDP. They easily could be their own country. And, and uh, God bless them. Let them do what they do there because uh, – California is a real, real nightmare. If you go watch, see film, video of San Francisco and Los Angeles, they look like third world cities. And this is a shame because these, the, San Francisco is one of the great cities of America, one of the, of the world. haven't been there in ages, but I love being in San Francisco because it's such a quaint city and Los Angeles is just so spread out. Um, uh, I have nothing good to say about Los Angeles because to me uh, – uh, it, it's, it's a poorly managed place. But the point is, uh, Texas could be its own country or the Southeast could be its own country because people think uh, very similar in the Southeast. Uh, the Upper Midwest could be a separate country, the Northeast. And so you could have about seven, eight different countries that come, um, uh, being carved out of the United States. And I think that would be a healthy development because it would solve some of the issues. And another issue that could be resolved very peacefully and without um, uh, contention, is education. Uh, I started my career as a New York City public school teacher in the late 60s, early 70s, and I saw the handwriting on the wall, and I said, I can't be here uh, for my whole career as a teacher. So I went back to graduate school, got a PhD, so I could teach at the college level. But education should not be a government-provided service. There's no philosophical reason that it should be. Uh, education could be done in the private sector, the nonprofit sector, Absolutely. or the home, homeschooling. Yeah. And I think, and what we've noticed during COVID is that people got so fed up with this lockdown, they said, I'm going to homeschool my kids and sacrifice. And you can do this in communities across the country where parents get together, they either hire some great teachers and have these small little learning centers in their community. So you don't need these big buildings, which cost a fortune to run with police all over the place. Right. And, um, right. and, and education should be very tailored to the individual and with a the lot curriculum of those available. programs there are a lot Annie, of can I jump? yeah go ahead can i can here. i add something you yeah, sure. look at the farm bill the farm bill has is in charge of the food stamp program and i argued this and when i was on the uh, ag committee for my eight years up there and i try to get this to change 
We need to decentralize this. Why are we taxing people in the state of New York or the state of Florida to feed people in another state? Because right. it becomes a big money a piggy bank that people say, well, it's the federal government. It doesn't cost anything. And they, they don't <laughs> deal with the underlying issues. If, yeah. if yeah. Governor DeSantis, if we were to decentralize the food stamp program and say each state is in charge of this, the federal government says your goal is not to let people in your state starve. Do you think Governor DeSantis, if we had high unemployment, which thank God we don't, but if we did have that, do you think they would get more active at a local level through the counties to create job programs to get people back at work? Instead, they they say, well, the federal government will send you food stamps. And this is that decentralization you were talking about, and that's where I, I agree with you. I think we need to go that. I'm not for splitting up into a bunch of different countries like the EU. I think if we were to go through a decentralization with the right president, the right Congress, and um, I think we could do that. It'll be a 10-year, 15-year program. But if we set that as a goal, we can accomplish that. And that I I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I think people right now – I'm sorry. But my question is, is with the way we have our education system, the way our youth are coming up through society with the brainwashing, do you think future generations would be able to have the mindset of government, get off my back and let me take care of myself versus, well, I exist, therefore you owe me? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the entitlement mentality I find very appalling because – like I said, I grew up in the 1950s. What did I see growing up as a kid? I saw my father leave for work before I got up, come home late in the afternoon, work his eight, 10-hour shift, brought home enough money to feed the family, and then sometimes worked on the weekend to drive a cab to bring an extra money in. So the work ethic was instilled in me as a youngster, and my father said to me when I started public school in the Bronx, when we moved from Manhattan, he said, your job, your goal is to get an education, and uh, I did that. and I didn't stop till I got a PhD so I could have a career that I wanted, which is uh, I wanted to teach at the college level, which I did for 35 years. And so youngsters need to have good role models, and the evidence shows conclusively that if there's a two-parent family, children have a much, much better chance of succeeding in life. And that's what the evidence shows because the, the correlation between a two-parent family and uh, good SAT scores to get into college is, is 100%. The lower, in other words, the lower the income and the single-parent family, the less probability the child will do in the future. That doesn't mean they can't do better in the future, but the evidence shows that the correlation is, is 100%. So we need to build families in America. We need to have fathers in the home. We need to have good values transmitted from parents to family. And we need to get away from this whole notion that someone else owes me a living. And the whole entitlement mentality comes about from the progressive period until the Great Society program and where it's now cemented in America. The really good news, I think, and this is something I I researched uh, when I was doing my book, is that young people are very entrepreneurial. They don't want to work nine to five. They see their parents working nine to five. They see uh, people getting laid off. They want to be in control of their destiny. And so young people, I must give them a lot of credit for. I taught in the business school for 35 years. And uh, as time went on, more and more young people are opening up their own businesses. Uh, I I get emails from students. I see them on LinkedIn. Um, One student um, who got laid off of her job. She decided to create her own company, and she's thriving. 
This is what happens in no, America. It's, it's, the, it's the land is, of opportunity. Is, right. And if you looked at California, they have 70,000 independent truckers, and Gavin Newsom said that they're not going to allow those people to operate because they're not unionized. So these are 70,000 truckers that have their own business, and he's going to put them out of business. So it's going to affect the economy that way, but it's also going to affect our supply chain because all the ports that – uh, service uh, products coming out of uh, China's retail stores via Walmart and Amazon. Yeah, I, this is this is why Gavin Newsom uh, is such a threat to the American economy. If if he decides <laughs> to run for president and get elected, I mean, this guy thinks uh, dictatorship is is the way to uh, prosperity. And again, th- this is the economic ignorance and the economic. Um, uh, nonsense that's being touted in Washington, D.C., and uh, I, I think we've got to call these people out, let them know that what they're doing is counterproductive, even if you accept their premise that they want more prosperity, but what's the best way to get it? And the evidence shows that it's the free enterprise economy. It's not this trickle-down economics that the government issues dictates and companies are supposed to uh, uh, jump up and follow the orders of Gavin Newsom or um, uh, uh, Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey, where I used to live, or these other governors who think that they know what's best for the economy. No, they don't. If they knew what's best for the economy, they would be entrepreneurs. They're not. They're they're bureaucrats. They're political hacks, and that we've got to call them out and let the American people know in no uncertain terms that politics does not solve problems. What solves problems? Is knowing knowing what a good solution is using your common sense because we have a brain. And how unfortunately not many people are using it these yeah, not many people are using their brains. They're expecting people to do for them, which they should be doing for themselves. Well, look at Kamala Harris. She wants equity. Oh, my she goodness. Thinks everybody should have equity. You know, the Constitution guarantees equal opportunity. It says nothing about everybody has the same outcome. That's the Marxist ideology, and that's who's running this country right now. And hopefully they'll be gone soon. Well, in Kamala Mella. I just had a conversation with a former colleague of mine this afternoon, and I, I said, don't get me started on her, because she had blonde hair. She'd be a valley girl. I mean, she, has, she, can't, put, she can't put together an articulate That's sentence. A good one. Vice President of the United States, I've, ne- I've followed politics for a long time. I don't think I've heard a dumber words come out of the mouth of a politician than from her. And this is not a sexist or a racist thing. This is just an observation, Professor, and as a former political candidate, that if you can't articulate a basic idea that the average person can understand, that, then there's something really wrong with you. And I think intellectually she is probably the lightest of the lightweight that's ever served in Washington, D.C. Well, she comes at her pretty close with the AOC. I think they're both about the same on par. <laughs> well, I'm glad this, you this, said this, that and, I would get attacked if I attacked her. That's right. I'll just let Andy do that. Well, this is the sad reality of American politics today is that people get into politics. Some of them who – I would say a lot of them who either don't know how the economy functions or if they do, they're keeping it uh, hidden from the American people because um, there's no way a thinking human being could support the policies that are coming out of Washington, D.C. these days whether it's on trade issues, whether it's on taxes, whether it's on spending, whether it's on regulation, whether it's on a monetary policy, all these policies are counterproductive to financial stability and economic progress. And um, I'm going to throw some out there food for thought that they can support them because it goes back to Barack Obama 
We are going to fundamentally transform America. We're five days yeah. from doing that. They are purposely doing this. The Biden administration is doing the same thing because he's got Obama's cabinet in there. And they are going through with that agenda to fundamentally transform America from a constitutional republic to a socialist yep. Marxist type of society where we're all equal, but we have no prosperity. Well, the, this is this is the great reset of the World Economic Forum. This is what they want. They they want to abolish exactly. private property, which is which is one of the tenets of of, of uh, the ten uh, pl- uh, planks of the Communist Manifesto. In fact, in fact, if you go through the ten planks of the Communist Manifesto and you see them, I think half or more of the uh, planks of the Communist Manifesto have been enacted. Here's even something better. If you look at the 19, if you look at the 1912 Socialist Party platform uh, for president. Virtually all of them have been enacted, from Social Security to uh, government-provided uh, health care to uh, Federal Reserve to the income tax. All the big institutions that put government in the driver's seat at the expense of the public are, have been enacted. And, uh, right. if we get, and if right. we get to uh, Medicare for all, that will be the end of uh, uh, good, good quality medical care in the United States. And so uh, I wrote a book last year on how we could have universal medical care through the free enterprise system as opposed to what we have today with Medicare and Medicaid. That would take a long time to do, but Medicaid could be solved pretty quickly over the next several years by creating more and more nonprofit health centers. And I, I, I'm the founder of one of them in, in, in uh, northern New Jersey, and I support uh, a couple others in New Jersey financially. And this is the way that a uh, humane way of dealing with low-income folks who don't have the means to go to the doctor and so you can have these nonprofit health centers, which don't charge people for the services provided by free of charge by doctors, and they raise money, um, tax-deductible contributions, and it works beautifully across the country. So we need to create it thousands does. of them to get rid of the Medicaid system, and that would save the American taxpayer $800 billion a year. You know, we talked yeah. about that because we already have that kind of sort of that it could build on what you just said and that is through our community health clinics. I think there's over 12,000 of those that the United States government or the taxpayers are funding to the tune of over $6 billion to rebrand those, and people can go in there and you pay according to your abilities. Most of it would be free, but we're already funding Mm -hmm. that, and everybody says nobody has health care. And I'm like, that's a crock. You know, there is health care, and I agree with you. Health care is not a right. It's a personal responsibility for those that can pay it. And there will always be the people that we need to uh, take care of, and we will as a society. That's our nature. Well, well that, you know, this, is, some, this is what – go ahead. Go oh, ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Someone had given me the argument that you don't have health care for everyone in the United States. And this was an argument they gave me about 10 years ago. And I said, wait a minute. There is now, because of a court case in California, now that if anyone shows up at an emergency room – they must be seen. It is a federal law that exactly. went into effect, I think, back in right. the, the 70s, if I remember correctly. So, yes, you have access to health care. Every single person does. So, basically, yes, you do have a form of universal health care. But here in it South does. Carolina, we're we seeing all these nonprofit clinics, and my church happens to work with several other churches to run one springing up around the area because states like mine and Florida are turning around and saying, well, this Medicare, that you're putting the burden on us, well, let us take a way of dealing with it. So you are correct. If we get these uh, nonprofit groups together, whether it's churches or uh, a group of, I don't know, Mets fans, 
that will open up a clinic that doctors do pro bono work at. There's your health care. There's there are so many retired physicians in this country. They would be able to practice medicine the way they're supposed to practice medicine without filling out these crazy forms of Medicare and Medicaid and just practice medicine one-on-one, the doctor-patient relationship, the foundation of medical care. And you could have all these retired physicians do four, 10, 20 hours a week, depending on how much time they have. And uh, you could do that all across the country. The first volunteer in medicine um, um, clinic was opened up in Hilton Head, South Carolina in the mid-1990s, and they have them across the country, but we need thousands of them to get rid of the Medicaid system, which is a a huge burden, and doctors uh, don't even uh, uh, take Medicaid because they pay so little, uh, like $10 a visit or something like that. One physician I know in New Jersey, she and her husband, another physician opened up a a nonprofit uh, medical center in in 20 years ago, and they're thriving because they have a low-cost operation, and they get people coming, driving 50 uh, minutes to see them from northern New Jersey, central Jersey, to their place in, in, uh, uh, in uh, central Jersey. And uh, they see people, and it's working beautifully. They get pharmaceuticals uh, for free from the drug companies. Uh, people do pro bono work. And the, the cost of uh, seeing a patient, I think, is something like $15 which is a lot cheaper than the federal qualified health centers, which I believe is $150 per patient. So we could do it. The model is out there, the volunteers of medicine model, and um, they do great work because doctors love it because they don't have to deal with insurance companies. They don't have to deal with the federal government. They don't have to deal with the local governments. All they do is treat patients, which is what doctors are supposed to do. And um, I'm on on a mission to really uh, make this system uh, as widespread as possible because it would be efficient, it would be humane, and it would be the right thing to do. The right thing well, to yeah. do. And I'm gonna, I haven't read your book, but I'll get it and read it, and I appreciate it. See, another hookup for you, Ted. <laughs> I'm hooking you up with there a lot of go. people today. Thank you. Because <laughs> yeah. no, I do remember in, in the 60s and 70s, we had a local family doctor, and if you couldn't pay, you did a little payment and plan or whatever you could pay. Uh, if it's necessary, he would come to the house. You know, that's when medicine, you were able to practice medicine. Uh, mm-hmm. But today, you have to go through the government. And if Medicare or Medicaid does not approve a procedure, because now yeah. you're either way too young and you're not a, a, a viable person, in, a productive person in society, or you're too old and thus not a productive person in society, you may be denied care which is what Obamacare had written into it, and they're still doing that today through Medicare and Medicaid. You know, get government out of the business of medicine. Let it be between the doctor and me and no That's one it. else. And the head well, of you know, I have part, a, No, prices would come down enormously. Uh, I remember growing up again in the 1950s and 60s. Uh, you go to the doctor. Uh, initially, I remember my parents paid $5 for an office visit. And if we needed antibiotics, it was a few dollars at a local pharmacy, no insurance required. And uh, my father was a blue-collar worker, and everyone can afford uh, medi- uh, medical care and, in- and uh, uh, drugs if they needed them. What changed, of course, was Medicare and Medicaid in 1965 that President Johnson signed into, into law. And so since then, medical care prices uh, have gone through the roof. They've vast increase in the consumer price index with uh, college uh, tuition because they're heavily subsidized by the government. So what's the, what's, what's the moral of the story? Once the government gets involved in something, prices go up higher than they otherwise would be in a free market. 
It so does. And I had a physician tell me this. He said doctors took themselves out of the the free enterprise system in healthcare, Medicare, Medicaid, but also insurance companies in the old days, yeah. as you were referring yeah. to Annie and and Doc. And I remember this. You would go in there, the doctor would give you an estimate, and you would make a decision based on your finances. You know, you'd have treatment A, B, or C. Um, and you paid, and like you said, you could make month or payments to the doctor. But then the insurance companies came out, and you have Medicare, Medicaid. But when they gave us the little blue card for insurance, you go to the doctor's office today, you give them the card, you don't know what a procedure is going to cost. Right. And so right. you're, they, they have taken that whole process away. Uh, case in point, I went and got an MRI. It was $2,300 if I go through insurance. Insurance declined it. If I pay cash, it was $600. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, That's what's yep. driving up medicine. And the doctors, they don't care. I mean, they'll take the $600, and we need to get government out of it because they gum it up, and they just really muck it up. Well, well we Ted, have a I model a question. In, uh, well, I'm sorry, Ted. I'm I was going to have a question for Ted because, you know, you think about how government got in, involved in our health care. Uh, we had the HIPAA Act, which is supposed to be the Privacy Act. Right. Well, right. how come the HIPAA Act? HIPAA Act is good for everything else except COVID. <laughs> that is amazing, isn't it? It's because you have central planning, and they want control of the people. They want to be able to have – we're moving into the direction of China. And, Doc, you brought up the, the World Economic Forum. If you read the stuff in there of Larry Fink, I think it is, and I forget what equity fund he's in charge of, he wants us to be more like China – and we are mm-hmm. so close to being able to monitor every move a person does, which they can through your credit card, your cell phone, your laptops, your car, et cetera. They can tell you what you're buying, what you're drinking. They can tell you all of that. All they haven't done yet is put in the good social score, uh, citizen score, like they do in yeah. China, where they'll deny you the right to go buy a pack of cigarettes or they'll say you can't travel because you've been a bad boy this month. And, and we are so close to that and the American people don't know it. And if you ask a young person, if they ever flew before a TSA, they'll think, what are you talking about? So when I grew up, <laughs> yeah. you could walk on the plane, yeah. people smoked, which I didn't, I don't, not a smoker. You could sit up in the cockpit. Your family could go to the gate with you. Yeah. But today you can't even go anywhere without going through TSA. And I said, that's a freedom you've lost that you didn't even know about that was supposed mm-hmm. to be in the first place, a temporary agency, TSA, but it's permanent. And well, that's what's going to start happening to this next generation. They don't have a clue of the freedoms we've given up that they're going to give up a lot quicker and never get back. Oh, the, yeah, as Milton Friedman famously said, there's no uh, – uh, what do you say? There's uh, – every uh, temporary program turns into a, a, a permanent program <laughs> of the federal government. I mean, it's true. Yeah. I mean, look at rent control. It really in is. New York City, ni- yeah, 1943, rent control was enacted. It's still there, but they modified it over the years. And um, well, That's and what New they York do. We're going to reform it. We're going to fix it. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's uh, there's no such thing as there's nothing as te- as permanent as a temporary government program, or, or something <laughs> to that effect. I mean, I mean, I mean uh, and, and yeah. I mean, that, uh, they'll get me started on the income tax because the income tax is supposed to be only for two percent of the population. Ninety-eight percent of the people were originally exempt from the income tax. That's why it was so popular. I, vote them all out. I, we need to vote yeah. them all out. 
Well, th- this is this this is this is the sad reality of how government propaganda and they do bait and switch all the time. I mean, this is something that has been going on for decades, and uh, I think we're reaching the end point because uh, we are people are really getting fed up with the lockdowns and and all the false information coming out of Washington regarding COVID and uh, Bingo. the the people that I met, uh, doctors and scientists from around the country. Uh, they're telling the truth about uh, the so-called vaccine. It's not a vaccine. It's a therapeutic and all the adverse consequences that are ha- that have been happening without being reported at the at the lo- uh, at the uh, uh, by the media. And CDC, this is a sad yeah, reality. Yeah, this is a sad reality of how the media are, are complicit with the federal government in not telling the American people. Uh, and the American people have informed consent when you're given a medication. And when fundamentally you fundamentally transforming problems, America. Yeah, when you see these ads on TV for drugs, they tell you all the adverse consequences you can have by taking this medicine, and the adverse consequences are probably, what, seven or eight of them, and (laughs) where were the adverse consequences uh, advertised for for the COVID vaccine? They weren't, because they can't. There's going to be, somebody's going to have to answer for that. No. Well, th- yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, there are some people suggesting we should have a Nuremberg trial situation for all the people yep. that uh, that uh, made these uh, horrendous decisions for the rest of us with uh, with the vaccine and the lockdowns. I mean, uh, the, the number of suicides that have occurred the last two years. Um, uh, one of my former students two years ago told me uh, one of his cl- uh, uh, childhood friends in. Uh, April of 2020 committed suicide because he just couldn't take what was going on in the country. So that's just one individual. Multiply that around the country of uh, of uh, hundreds of thousands of communities, and you can see how many people committed suicide in the last two mm-hmm. years. How many people have been uh, affected with um, uh, psychiatric problems and mental health problems because of uh, COVID? And the young kids with their social and intellectual development. I mean, this has been a horrendous, horrendous consequence of uh, of uh, a government uh, mandating medical treatment. And there's one thing we should have learned a long time ago is that it's the doctor that recommends treatment. Dr. Fauci is not my doctor. I never called up Dr. Fauci for treatment. I never called up anyone in the federal government if I was sick and I needed treatment. So um, when people say you have to do this, that, and the other thing, no, I don't. I'm an individual sovereign person who thinks things through and determines what's the best course of action. And I've told my doctor, I agree with you. I'm not taking this medication because I don't think it's worthwhile to me. And uh, yeah. we'll leave it at that. Because the doctor has a duty to treat the patient, not to follow blindly some bureaucratic uh, mandate out of Washington, D.C. Well, I believe our no, that, Declaration that, of Independence says that too life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit. Well, no guarantee, well, we but need the another, pursuit of well, we need another declaration, a declaration of financial independence as well, not only political independence, but financial independence. I think you're going to see a, a list of grievances come out before long against the tyrannical federal government. Oh, it's easy. All you have to do is uh, just uh, read the news every day and see what they're doing. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really troubling that we're in this state in America today. The country has been so transformed in two years, two and a half years. It is phenomenal. What, not in a good sense, but phenomenal sense. How does a country that was relatively free in, 20, in early 2020 become almost an authoritarian society in 2022? It's, it's really stunning. Ignorance. Ignorance it's, 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 and, it's, and it's, nefarious action. Well, and and, and, and the, the WEF. 
well, they're using the pandemic. They're using everything that's going on. And now the, they're not even talking about the studies for people that have mental problems. The medications right. are being put on to treat the problems. Well, 90, I think it's 95% of the mass shootings that we've had recently yeah. have been people that have been on those medications for mental illness. That's exactly right. Yeah, and I 5%. think oh, yeah, there's only two instances in the last two years where the person was not on medication. Well, but the medication that for psychiatric problems. So without now the they're coming after our guns. Yeah, exactly. And there was cases where it was documented of instances with interactions with police as well as uh, mental hospitalizations. Why did they get guns? Or what the legal person who has no mental problem or anything else like that is denied. They're coming after the guns again because they're coming again. Right now, I got a message on my phone that's going to committee to mark up the bill on banning assault weapons. I'm sorry. Right. Any firearm is an assault weapon. It is Absolutely. Used as, a yeah. hammer can be an assault weapon. A toenail clipper can yeah. be an assault weapon. I believe it says, yeah. shall not be infringed in the Second Amendment. Shall yeah, not yeah, I mean, be infringed, period. Yeah, I mean, uh, as a naturalized citizen that took an oath to defend the Constitution in 1959, I'm appalled that members of Congress haven't stood up for the Bill of Rights and how people who consider themselves civil libertarians have basically turned their back on, on the Bill of Rights. And this is frightening because once you have people accepting uh, the, the uh, propaganda of the federal government, then it's very easy to understand how, and I'm, I'm, I'm using this advisedly, how Adolf Hitler took power in Germany. I mean, if people no, don't they push voted back, them in. yeah, if people don't push back, what you're going to see is more collectivism, more fascism, more totalitarianism, and uh, and, and and more uh, uh, denigration of uh, individual liberty, individual sovereignty. And uh, we're going to be nothing more than serfs. Yeah, I mean, uh, property rights is the foundation of civilization. Once you take away property rights, what have you? You become a clog in this this, uh, uh, huge government apparatus. And uh, this is why property rights uh, are the key to understanding where a society is headed. So what's your property rights? Yeah, you, you, you is your is your income is your property, you, the the uh, land that you own or the uh, house that you own or the condo, your your automobile, your other uh, material uh, uh, goods. If you don't own that, and the government can willy nilly take it away through eminent domain or other nefarious um, uh, methods, then uh, we've lost America to uh, to to the. Uh, to the collectivists, and this is a troubling situation, and I wish the American people would uh, wake up and realize what's happening to them because every generation we've seen gets more and more embracing this collectivist ideology. And when you have people saying healthcare is a right, as we discussed earlier, then you know that there's something wrong with the educational system and the discourse in America where Things right. that should be purchased in the marketplace now become a right. No, the rights that we have are basically negative. Government shall not infringe. The freedom of speech shall be protected. I mean, these are basic rights. They're not material goods that we own, that, um, not, not rights that we uh, have, but they're rights that the government cannot infringe upon, which is speech uh, traveling from uh, state to state, 
uh, from uh, contracting with individuals for goods and services that we want. It's, it's, it's basically the freedom philosophy that, um, that conservatives and libertarians have been talking about for decades. This is so much more to talk about when we go in, down this rabbit hole. You know, our freedoms and liberties bit by bit have been chipped away and chipped away, and people are just ignored. I had a debate with my state senator about the Equal Rights Amendment that they were trying to pass. Uh, and in it, there was defining uh, preventing discrimination based upon sex. And I said, well, if you're talking about sex when this amendment was originally written back in the late 50s, early 60s, sex meant male, female. It meant your gender. But today, yeah, yeah. sex could mean you could be a pedophilia, necrophilia, you can be anything. And now, because you pass this amendment and the word you use is sex, anything goes. So they yeah. keep on pushing yeah, the this equal rights amendment. So what do we have now? An explosion in our school yeah, yeah. schools teaching sex to five and six years old, showing them how to do certain sex acts and when they're not even hitting puberty, when they're not even old enough to understand what this is. And now we this have transgender called, children at the age of four. Come on. Yeah. This, this, this is, going too is far. basically... This is basically the, the culture being turned upside down, and uh, it's appalling because um, what I find really appalling is uh, th- this agenda of uh, letting people know what your sexual preferences are. I don't care what your sexual preferences are. The, uh, what consenting adults do in the privacy of their own home is their business, but don't, but don't let the rest of the world know what your sexual preferences are. No one's interested in what your sexual preferences are. Just... Uh, whatever happened to the philosophy, live and let live, and uh, don't tell me things I don't, I'm not interested in knowing about your personal life. And unfortunately, this has become now public, that what people do in their personal lives is now considered a public obligation to inform the rest of the world and to try to convince people about their personal preferences. And uh, th- this this is the, uh, I don't know what what to call it, <laughs> I'm sort of a, but I did have an idea for a book 20 years ago, and I'm sorry I didn't write it because it would probably be a huge bestseller if I had written it. It was going to be called The End of Heterosexuality. And I saw the handwriting on the wall 20 years ago with this whole movement toward LBGTQ that um, people wanted to basically uh, replace what is traditional cultural mores for the past several thousand years of Western civilization with an agenda of anything goes as, as the public agenda. And um, I still believe this is the agenda that people have, is that, uh, uh, that heterosexuality in 20, 40 years will be a minority section of society right. and that uh, what the implications are, I don't know, but uh, all I'm saying is that uh, once you take personal preferences and make it a political agenda, that's when we get that, that's when we have real conflict in society. Heritage Foundation wrote a a great uh, essay on that, and it was called um, Identity Politics, and it it goes into exactly what you just spoke, and uh, it's very well written, and it talks about how this movement started in the 50s, and then it has just gained steam, and um, it talks about all that stuff, and I would recommend people to read that. Well, this is why uh, once you object to something, you're either called uh, a racist, a homophobe, anti-Semite, uh, anti-Christian, or whatever. 
uh, I guess I guess it's chic today to be anti-Christian because uh, it's amazing how, how in a nation of majority of Christian individuals there's so much anti-Christian um, um, ideology out there, and I find this disturbing. Not as a Christian, but as a human being. I mean, it, it's just remarkable that uh, the only thing that's accepted today is, uh, as you said, uh, identity politics. That if you're not part of the, the right tribe, so to speak, uh, then you, you're an outcast. And uh, this is how you get civil war in society. It, uh, we've seen this around the world for, for, for centuries, is that people are considered outcasts. And, um, and the propaganda mills are working overtime in the media, in the colleges, having taught at the sure. college and the business school, which is pretty, pretty uh, tame. But if you go into other uh, schools in the college, whether it's the social sciences or the humanities, where uh, this thing is sort of the, uh, uh, the norm, of, of talking about uh, sexual identity and identity politics, and uh, nothing good can come of it. That's the bottom line. No, in order to, you, 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 go ahead, Annie. I'm sorry. In order to get to the identity politics, they had to knock uh, religion out. No, oh, they, you have to worship at the altar of government, but not at the altar of God. And I noticed that a long number of years ago, uh, where we used to have the sidewalk preacher, but all of a sudden now, oh wait a minute. That's a noise complaint. You're making too much noise. So the only time you can preach is within your church, your temple, your mosque, or whatever it is. Now, you can't stand on the corner and praise the word of God, no matter what your faith is. You stop the public talk of religion. And I actually had a Tea Party member tell me she had to go to a court case, uh, a local court, and the case was dismissed. And as she stood there in front of the court, in front of the bench, she said, oh, thank God. She got chastised by the judge for mentioning really? God in the courtroom. Wow. And well, this you have was to only take in the last 10 years. When you're a witness, you have to take an oath uh, to say uh, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and so help you God. So I don't know where they're coming from. <laughs> when, when, I mean, this is so bizarre. I mean, I can't tell you. I, having observed American politics and culture for a long time now, it is amazing uh, what has unfolded for, for, for the last uh, – couple of decades. I mean, it, it's stunning what's happened to America. Well, it's a, the good you, book you, you says, could, when right is wrong and wrong is right, the end is near. And uh, I can't think of it being more screwed up than it is right now. I mean, how much bizarre can it get? I mean, and, and the thing is, uh, the way to handle this is the way that Mel Brooks did it in the, that great movie, uh, uh, The Producers, <laughs> is you satirize all these folks. And when you satirize them, it's it's a way of uh, uh, showing how foolish they are, and that's what uh, Mel Brooks did in the, the producers when uh, he, when he had the springtime uh, for Hitler artist. in Germany. Hitler. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> springtime for oh, Hitler. <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, springtime for LGBTQ. <laughs> yeah, I mean you could do you could do you could do such satire of these folks, and uh, they basically become caricatures of themselves, and uh, it's just a sad that's reality. Yeah, I mean, people are parading in these pride uh, parades naked in front of kids. Yeah, I mean, public nudity. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, you, you read, speech. you, 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 yeah, you read about uh, nudist camps where people would go and be private and all that. Now it's become public, so it's really bizarre what's happening. Is that uh, celebrated? People, people think their private parts are now public. I mean, it's bizarre. I mean, uh, you can't <laughs> make this stuff up, as they say, and. Uh, Right. Uh, again, people are afraid to speak up about it, and uh, and uh, we should not be afraid to speak up. Listen, whatever you want to do between consenting adults, do it out of sight and out of mind because I don't want to know about what your 
your personal preferences are. You do it whatever you want, as long as it's peaceful and consensual among uh, adults. That's up to you. But now to and make that the responsibilities uh, of it. Absolutely, I, this is the whole point. I mean, personal responsibility is is the key of being a a, a, a human being and being a responsible uh, adult. Is is personal responsibility instead of making excuses that uh, that uh, the devil made me do it, as Flip Wilson used to do on his TV show. Uh, no. Nope. I mean, uh, and unfortunately, the politicians don't want to take responsibility. I mean, Biden is blaming everybody for the mess that he's created. Flip Wilson would be banned today. Uh, oh, yeah. Most of the comedians would be banned today. Don Rickles would be banned today for uh, the way he was uh, using uh, insult, so-called insult comedy. and uh, Jackie Mason uh, and <laughs> other Paulson. people like that. Pat Paulson. Remember Pat Paulson running for president? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I saw him yeah. in person. <laughs> George Carlin. I mean, George oh, Carlin was it's... brilliant. I mean, I mean, he, he had a. There's a YouTube uh, presentation of him talking about germs, and he said, "We yeah, swam in the river," and, and it was just hysterical. I mean, uh, the germophobia that we have in this country is the germphobia. Is there are people that will never take off their masks. They will never take off their masks. I mean, uh, the people are so frightened of COVID. They think they're going to die if they get COVID, and. Um, COVID is basically a bad flu, and if you're and if you've got uh, underlying conditions, if you're elderly and you've got a weak immune system, it's going to be uh, it's going to be uh, difficult to get out of it. But young, healthy folks who get COVID re- recover quickly because their immune systems are pretty strong. And so uh, it's all about building up your immune system, no matter what your age is. And if you've got uh, diabetes or obese or other uh, underlying conditions. Uh, your your body can handle some of these illnesses that come your way, and that's why people have chronic conditions. You know, it's funny because my mom is ninety; she turned ninety July fourth, and uh, she. I took her to the doctor, and I sat down with the doctor, and we discussed everything. And because of certain medical conditions we have, he advised us against getting the vaccine, and I'm yeah, glad we yeah. didn't. And I, the more I learn about the vaccine and the side effects, I said, you know, I could have died from the shot. She could have died from the shot. And matter of fact, I have a friend of mine lost his nine-year-old grandson immediately after he had gotten the shot. You know, oh my goodness. they don't know all of the side effects on this. Most, most vaccines take decades to finally get through all the testing and everything else. This got thrown into the market within less than a year, and yeah, we're still yeah. finding out what the side effects are. And the more I learn about it, the more it scares me, because it actually alters your body's DNA. Now, yep. what is that going to yep. speak about for our future generations? Will there be future well, the, generations? I recently saw a post, um, and, it, and uh, the person who wrote the article, and I don't remember it because I've been reading so much the last uh, few few weeks, is that uh, there are projections that in five years or so, eight years, 700 million people who took the vaccine will die. That's an incredible number of people that will die because uh, th- there may be horrible long-term consequences of this uh, so-called vaccine. And if that, in fact, happens, then God only knows what the world economy is going to look like. Uh, some people think it would be great because uh, there'll be less pollution, there'll be less driving around and th- things like that. I mean, there are people out there that they're either incredibly stupid or 
incredibly evil. And um, when when you're a combination of the two, that's a really toxic mixture for for genocide or for other well, things. What's the collapse of society? And yeah. I want to I want to remind you again of that MIT study. And Annie, I know your job is to educate listeners. Have the listeners just type up um, MIT population uh, studies, and they'll be shocked at what they read. And MIT is a very credible university. And so something's yes, going to happen, something's going to plane, um, something's been planned, and um, is the vaccine part of it? I don't know. Time will tell. Um, Annie, I'm going to have to get off because I have another call I've got to do, if that's okay. acceptable. Oh, that is and I appreciate any type I appreciate the opportunity to be on your program as a co-host. Um, someday I'll feel worthy of it. And then, um, <laughs> Dr. Mark, I, I appreciate your conversation, and I'll get your book, and uh, I'll send you an email and if I have any questions, if that's okay. Thanks so much, Congress. I appreciate being with you, and uh, keep up the good yes, fight. We need, uh, we need, we need uh, pro-liberty people all across the country, and uh, to let the masses know that uh, what is happening. And uh, uh, as we've seen throughout history, when the masses uh, speak in one voice against the uh, against the powers that be, that's when we uh, uh, go toward more to, toward a free society. It sure will. I agree. Well, mighty fine. I appreciate it, and y'all take care. I take, take, care take care. Have a great weekend. God bless. Yes, ma'am. All right. Congressman Ted Yoho sitting in for my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett, who is doing a poll watching uh, course right now. So he should have been here and hopefully he will be here shortly. But that's all right, Dr. Murray. Um, should have shortly someone from the Heritage Foundation uh, joining us. But when we were talking about these vaccines, um, I've been advising people that have been vaccinated to go to the Epic Times, and they have a series of articles yeah. about how to detox. So yeah. if you have people out there, you know, let them know about the Epic Times and the articles on how to detox from the vaccine and get their healthy body back. It has been a pleasure. People can find you at your website, which is your name, Murray Sabrin, S-A-B-R-I-N dot com. And you are, have to come back often because there's so much more for us to speak about. Oh, thank you so much, Annie. I really appreciate it. Uh, this is my mission now that I've retired is that um, I've written, um, let's see, several books since I retired. Uh, I'm on my fourth book since I retired. And uh, I just want to continue to speak out because um, – uh, the truth will always win out, and that's, I think, the bottom line here. And uh, if we speak the truth, uh, truth to power, then I think we're going to have a society that people will uh, prosper and uh, we will reduce the tension in our society, the uh, contentious uh, issues, and um, I think uh, everyone will be satisfied. And uh, one thing we have to hope for is more world peace because uh, uh, having grown up uh, during the Vietnam War and uh, seeing all these other wars, undeclared wars, uh, uh, they're totally unnecessary uh, because it yields uh, death and destruction around the world and uh, costs the American taxpayers uh, uh, tons of money. And, of course, all the veterans that come back uh, uh, with their arms and legs uh, blown away. So, anyway, thanks for the opportunity, Annie, and I look forward to uh, speaking to you again. It, it definitely will be my pleasure. Thank you so much. You take care now. Have a good weekend. All right. You too. All right, uh, Dr. Murray Sabrin, check out his website over there. There's a link on our show page. So as you listen to us, click on the link and find out about 
all about Murray. I want to welcome from the Heritage Foundation. She is the Director of Heritage Border and Security and Immigration. Let me say that correctly now. Heritage Border, Security and Immigration, Lori Reese. Good afternoon, Laura. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. It is our pleasure, our pleasure. As you can tell, we've been having some heavy conversations here, a lot to talk about. Uh, but with the, what's going on on the border, we have a full-scale invasion, which finally some members of government are recognizing the fact that we have an invasion. Uh, some states are now declaring an invasion. But I've been screaming this ever since Biden opened the border. We're being invaded, and no one's doing anything. I shouldn't say no one. But our government is not protecting us. That's right. It is the federal government's job to uh, implement and enforce our immigration laws. And the Biden administration is not only not following the law, but breaking the law in several cases. And the states uh, have had to step up and take care of things uh, on their own. And yet, uh, the Biden administration, just like the Obama administration, will then turn around and sue the states for daring to protect their own borders and citizens. And, you know, in Texas's case, now it's gone down to the county level where the sheriffs are so fed up, you know, they've gone to this drastic measure and said, you know, something needs to be done. We can't, this is unsustainable. It, it is. It is. And I see my... My actual co-host is now back in as soon as he gets himself unmuted, courtesy of Bennett. The previous co-host was Congressman Ted Yoho, so we're in pretty good company here today. But um, I made an observation back in the 1980s when I was a police officer in New York City, and this was under the Giuliani administration. If we came across someone that we arrested or we were transporting to a hospital for whatever reason, we were no longer allowed to notify ICE that we had an illegal alien in our possession. And those policies that started back decades ago have been magnified. And now we don't even require them to be tested for COVID, much less get vaccinated. But our military must be, or our children under the age of six are now being vaccinated. It's an upside down world when we're dealing with illegal aliens here in the United States. We thrown the door open and said, come on. Come on, it doesn't matter whatever our laws are and how many people you hurt. Just come on in. Yeah, there seems to be a hierarchy here, and illegal aliens seem to be at the top of the pyramid. They trump uh, lawful immigrants. They trump American citizens. Um, and whether it's COVID, which has just been completely backwards, um, or other aspects of our lives, uh, the Biden administration is seems hell-bent on uh, flooding this country with illegal aliens. I mean, they, they have no plan that they voiced. There seems to be no limit to how many they, they would like to come in. And I suspect it's so that they can argue, look, we will never be able to deport all these people, um, so you have to give them all amnesty. Not only that, you give them... Uh, free transportation anywhere they want to go within the country, uh, a phone, uh, housing, clothing, food stamps, uh, education, medical care. And what do we do to our veterans? Leave them homeless on the street. Right. The, the amount of money, taxpayer money, that is being spent on by this administration so recklessly and carelessly on illegal aliens 
and uh, enticing them to come here and then throwing good money after bad is going to be shocking if and when we ever find out the total dollar amount. Uh, but every benefit that, that illegal aliens are given, whether it's a driver's license or, you know, public education or the list goes on and on, gives them more ties to the country. And then they argue, well, you can't deport me because I have so many ties here. That's true. That's true. I uh, want to welcome uh, Curtis. Say hello. Curtis, see us Bennett. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, we got you, Curtis. We got you. Yeah, I was going to. Um, I was going to say that our our governor, Ron DeSantis, whenever they try to sneak these um, illegals into our state, he's sending them to the liberal states, and that's what all Republican governors should do. Yeah. So there are many things that states can do to make it more difficult for illegal aliens to live in their state, and therefore develop those ties or roots that we were just talking about. Uh, whether it is not having sanctuary policies that you referenced, Annie, before, not giving them driver's licenses, not giving them uh, in-state tuition or business licenses, cracking down on the transportation or smuggling or harboring of illegal aliens, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if California wants to have loose laws and take them all there, so be it. But that leaves other states better off and not having to spend so many, so much tax money on um, housing and uh, taking care of this population that's not supposed to be here. Well, there's also a lot of other things that they can do, like uh, we have here in South Carolina that when someone hires another person, you're supposed to do a check on them to find out whether or not they're here legally or not, if they're a citizen or not. Uh, And what goes through the state tax, business tax, whatever it is, if we had states do that, but also have the sheriffs, which is the highest law in the land for each state, the sheriffs take over and say, hey, listen, I don't care what you say. If we have someone come in our possession, we're going to background check them and we're going to ship them out to ICE. Or if we're a border state, which I mean, I mean physically not an airport state or a harbor state, but if you're on the border like Texas or uh, New Mexico, we're going to drive you back across. We'll give you a couple of bucks to get, hitchhike home, but we're not letting you back in. There's a lot of things that the states themselves can do, can't they? Yep, that's right. And and work um, and work verification is key. It is still the number one reason that people come here, and it is still illegal to employ someone who does not have work authorization. That goes clear back to the '86 law. So you wouldn't guess it these days because the Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas has said uh, work, working here illegally is not necessarily uh, grounds to be removed. And so that just tells employers and uh, future illegal aliens, you're not going to be checked. So you don't have to do the E-Verify check and you're not going to be audited. Um, and employees, you're not going to be um, checked or removed for working here illegally. And so the flow continues. You know, we had uh, Title 42, where it was remain in Mexico. Um, but the Biden administration has been fighting that. And it's been going back and forth. Where do we stand now with Title 42? So Title 42 was the public health authority issued by uh, CDC uh, uh, regarding COVID. 
And that allowed border agents to uh, quickly expel illegal aliens across, back across the border for, to prevent the spread of COVID for public health purposes. Uh, the Biden administration kept it in place, but, but had a lot of pressure from its radical left flank to do away with it. And um, the CDC announced back in April that it was going to lift that authority. Um, and that has, uh, states have sued on that to try and keep it in place. A court has ordered uh, the Biden administration to keep it in place. But like so many things, the administration is not going to follow the court rule. Um, and so it will use that authority a little bit. They can kind of dial it up or dial it down as, as needed or as they see fit. Um, but it, it's just one of many examples where the Biden administration has made the completely wrong decision about what to do on immigration. States have to go to court and sue. The courts tell the administration, you need to follow the law here and enforce the law. And the administration ignores uh, or, or barely complies with, with court orders. You know, this administration, as uh, Ted Yoho said, it's more like a Saturday Night Live skit. And I said more like a, uh, laughing. Um, some of the stuff they're doing, because they are in bed with Big Pharma. I mean, there's money changing hands. We know already uh, members of the NIH Fauci's group have been getting royalties for different things that they've worked on, which include these, apparently these vaccines. Uh, and they're approving these vaccines from the FDA without actual studies being done, knowing what the reaction would be to the individual as young as six months old getting these Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Isn't there anything that we can do to put the brakes on this, or are we at the mercy of the FDA and the, the CDC? Well, at this point, uh, COVID has spread um, so rampantly. Uh, the question doesn't seem to be anymore, have you had COVID yet? It's how many times have you had it? And, and so clearly these vaccines are not um, lasting in their effectiveness. Um, and, and so very slowly now are we starting to see doctors at, at NIH and CDC uh, be more vocal and, and even leave those agencies saying, look, this has just become way too political. It's not based on science. The right testing isn't being done. Data is lacking. Um, and, and so people just need to keep pushing back on the administration, particularly as the next election you know, emerges and you're starting to hear yet again of the umpteenth variant um, spreading and, and a call for masks and quarantines, et cetera. Uh, Americans are just not going to go back at this point. We've had it. No, I, I do agree because we're hearing another variant, another variant, and this is going to be worse. Uh, people are turning around and saying, we've heard this song before. You've cried wolf one too many times. We're not going to take it. They tried it with the monkey uh, pox variant, and that was highly suspicious, especially since they did that tabletop uh, scenario and how oddly it just what happened with the monkeypox outbreak matched exactly their scenario. There's a lot of stuff that's going on that the public is not being aware of. Yes, uh, that, that is for sure. Um, transparency is, is not a, uh, 
a culture of this administration or, or many of the, the agencies, whether it's, you know, in the U.S. federal government or at the, the global level, U.N., et cetera? Well, you know, uh, one of the things that really disturbed me is when we had this they came up with the Ministry of Information. Uh, now, what is, what is it now? The Domestic Terrorism Unit. They're going after the everyday mom and pop people like you and me and that are speaking to the power of truth. Uh, just how far is our government going to be going into us, our lives? Heaven forbid we show up at a, a school PTA meeting or a county council meeting and we start to voice against whatever is going on. How far is this going? Yeah, it will, it will continue. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security tried to create the Disinformation Governance Board, or the DGB, an awful name. They picked an awful person to head it. And although she has since resigned and the DGB is, has been uh, dismantled, the, the effort and the MO continues, both at the Department of Homeland Security and also at the Justice Department and, and likely through other um, departments as well, and certainly Congress. Uh, the left is in bed with big tech, and any speech that the left does not like, anything that contradicts the narrative the left wants to push, it signals to big tech to censor that information, to call it misinformation, and that content is taken down. Um, but similar to uh, you, you talked about, COVID and, and hearing that song before, after living through 2020 and 2021, between um, COVID and everything being labeled misinformation only later to come out as true, whether it was election results, et cetera, uh, Americans ha are keen to or wise to the tactics now, and uh, they're, they're just not buying it anymore, which is yeah, why... Um, is why D the DGB was taken down and um, uh, the woman, Nina Jankowski, I'm, I'm probably getting her name wrong, uh, resigned due to that yeah. pushback. And what Jankowski people didn't know is that Mallorca said it was a newly formed unit, but lo and behold, we found out it had been in existence and operating before it became known publicly. So you, you can't even trust what they are testifying to Congress. They're lying to Congress, and yet Congress doesn't turn around and slap them with the felony, saying, you lied to us. That's against the law. Yeah, well, right now, uh, both the House and the Senate being having a Democrat majority, they, they just aren't going to do oversight on their own party. So if the House flips come November, uh, then we'll start seeing some more uh, genuine oversight next Congress. Uh, from your lips to God's ears, I really do hope that that would be the truth. Uh, but even then, I'm not uh, too confident because we look how the Department of Justice served under Trump. They kind of like worked against him nonstop along with the FBI. I just don't know how much I, we can trust the shadow government behind the administration. So these are all things that are actually, you know, uh, really rather scary because um, right now, I found out that YouTube has officially and permanently banned me. So I may have been in the uh, the line of sight of the domestic terrorism unit in the TOJ. Who knows? Yeah, the swamp the swamp is real and it is very deep, to be sure. So now, 
what does big tech get out of being in bed with this administration and these policies? What, where do they profit from this? How do they profit from it? Well, I mean, it's ideological. So a lot of those companies are located in Northern California, and so they are of the same uh, beliefs and, and have the same values, if you can call it those, uh, as, as those on the left who are currently in power. And so uh, they use the, the, the very powerful tools that they have to create the narratives they want and to keep those narratives going and to stay in power. It's, quite the, the cycle and um, and yeah that their sole power motive seems to be getting power staying in power and then they make quite a bit of money along the way now I no. observed <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Chris <clears throat> excuse me, I, no I apologize because I have to clear my throat I started to get a frog in my throat go ahead okay I, we all know how well Franklin Roosevelt kept his polio and the fact that he spent a lot of time in a wheelchair a secret but how long are the democrats going to be able to cover for biden's mental deficiencies that's what i i would like to know it's just so obvious well yeah you've already seen um california governor newsom showed up at the white house while uh president biden is is overseas it's it's quite the move there um so with with each day that Biden appears in public, it just becomes more and more obvious. Now, anyone who was paying attention during the 2020 campaign knew because um, he barely campaigned and he did so from his basement. Uh, so he has physical and mental visible um, disabilities. And I, it's pretty clear that uh, the party has turned on him. They're not going to have him run again in 24 uh, the question is, can he make it to 24, um, no. or are they going to have to have him step aside? And, you know, the vice president's choice is, is not much better. Um, but it's pretty clear that there are a few in their party are, are not waiting, and they are starting to make their move, whether it's California Governor Newsom, you've got Illinois Governor Pritzker, um, and then, you know, the list will grow. we got Stacey Abrams, who deliberately snubbed him twice. Uh, Queen Camilla Mella, uh, there is a, a growing list of, of people that are vying for the uh, the primary. So it's going to be very, very interesting. And I think it's going to be more like the mad, 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 mad world <laughs> than the SNL TV show. Um, but it, we have an overrun board. I want to get back to that one because this affects now every single state and territory within the United States. You normally think of, you know, border security of, you know, just the southern border or maybe the border with Canada. Uh, but this is a total invasion of our nation. And we spend more time worrying about being penalized if we don't use the correct pronoun. But we're ignoring the crisis of this invasion. People being left for, uh, dead in the, uh, in the crossing either freezing to death or dying of dehydration. Uh, we have children and women being raped multiple times and being sold into sex trafficking. We have human trafficking of, for workers. We have drug trafficking. We have invasions of the cartels and gangs. Why isn't anyone talking about this? 
you only find one or two stations, maybe Newsmax, maybe sometimes Fox or anyone, but no one else is talking about the human tragedy that is invading our nation. Well, the White House has put a, uh, a media gag order, blackout order uh, on this issue. And so, yes, it is only a few media outlets that are talking about it. Um, I, I will note that uh, the left took notice of one uh, rape case in Ohio recently, this 10-year-old girl um, who, it turns out, was raped by an illegal alien. And yet they failed to notice the daily rapes uh, occurring of girls and women, uh, of migrants coming up through the Darien Gap and, and Central America and Mexico to come to the U.S. because this administration has thrown open the border. Uh, if they're that concerned about this, one, they need to notice it, and two, they need to prevent it by securing the border. Um, you know, they're all about root causes, but this root cause is um, pre- prevention. It, it, it's that simple. And, and this administration simply won't do it. Um, what is the most obvious um, phenomenon of, of every state is a border state and every town is a border town is fentanyl spreading so rapidly all over this country and too many parents losing their young sons and daughters to pills that, you know, many of these young people had no idea what they were taking or ordering or uh, what have you. And uh, these are the most deadly form of of drug, often disguised or mixed in with with some less, um, you know, dangerous drug. But this is getting into every community and and taking our our young people. Um, and, And that's why parents should, yeah. should realize that that's coming across this border. It is. It is the highest cause of death for those between the age of 18 and 45. But no one is charging anyone for the homicide of these people that are victims of fentanyl or for, you know, assault. Because when they buy either the cocaine or they get a Percocet or something like that, not knowing that it's laced with fentanyl, they're not doing it and overdosing. That's when you take something deliberately and overdose. But these people are taking what they think is one thing and ending up with something completely different. And it should be a homicide. But we're not seeing that. Are they afraid to charge or they just don't want the public to know the true, the true cost of you know, human life? Yeah, I, I just don't think they want to know. And, and even the DEA administrator... Um, is saying that uh, cartels are poisoning Americans at record rates. I, I don't know if, now, she said that very recently, if, if not today. I don't know if, if someone at the White House is going to give her a phone call and ask her what she's doing, but uh, she's speaking the truth. Um, and so, again, it's about prevention. It's not about throwing money at um, rehabilitation um, and, you know, other programs after the fact, though those have their purposes, but again, it's throwing good money after bad. If you simply secure the border, then you prevent much of the the death and the destruction of lives and families. Well, we know that China, we're getting the chemicals out of China. China is sending them to Central America and Mexico for it to be mixed. And the cartels are saying, well, forget about pot, forget about cocaine. 
they'll still come with the methamphetamine because they can mix that with the fentanyl. Fentanyl is the biggest cash cow for these cartels. And the best way, as you said, to stop it is if we prevent the illegal crossings. But as you said also, uh, every state is a border state. If they have a port, if they have an airport, it becomes a border state. And it has spread through every single state and territory, and yet people are playing no no see, no hear, no speak. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, politicians don't change their ways unless they uh, are personally susceptible to losing their personal safety, their pocketbook, or their power. Um, I, I find interesting, we saw this with crime, too, and in 2020 and the riots. You know, some mayors were perfectly fine letting the riots continue, but in, when it came to their literal doorstep, only then would they uh, crack down on the rioting. Um, it's the same thing with crime that's spreading in all these cities. Uh, and now, you know, today there's a, a U.S. Olympic volleyball player who was attacked um, brutally in, in the face, and she's going on TV. You can see her bruising and, and how hurt she was. And she's saying, when is enough en- enough? What does it take to start cracking down on crime? If, these are all the same patterns. You know, how many Americans have to die from illegal alien crime or these drugs? Um, or who is the single person that has to die or be hurt where it's going to get the Biden or someone's attention to say, okay, you know, we, we've let this go long enough. We really need to change course here. Well, Lord, it has been a great pleasure having you with us. We love the people that Tom sends us over here from Heritage. And tell them I'm sending them a hug via the airways. Well, thank you very much. And people can find you at heritage.org. There's a link on the show page that will go directly to your biography so that they can see what articles and what things you're working on. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right. Have a great weekend, and God bless. Uh, check out Laura Reese over at heritage.org. Curtis, you joined us for the last 20 minutes, but you, you got to listen to the show. It just rocked. Um, yeah, I can't wait we to hear uh, a, a yeah, congressman, former congressman, and ones that are vying for that position. Cowboy. Yeah, and his straw poll show, had him coming out on top of all the other members of the primary going in on August 23rd down in Florida. So our fingers are crossed, our prayers are with him uh, for uh Colonel Calvin Wimbish. Uh, So that's all we have for now, folks. Uh, We will be back, and we'll have another great lineup of guests. So I guess until then, we will give you uh, my friend Gary Pecorella, Save America. Until then, I say good night, and God bless. Enjoy the weekend.
I'm never 